welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, August 22nd. That means it's time to fix some trucks, or at least talk about fixing trucks. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. Bruce and Pete and Leroy, we'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up, 855 855- Nine five zero three eight three five. We'll get to those calls and questions here in just a little bit. Let's uh, hear from the team. Bruce, you're first up this morning. Good morning. Well, good morning, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure to be here. What? Uh, and, what's on your mind this week? Well, I had an email come through from a fella that has a pinhole in his liner. He didn't mention what engine it was, and he has antifreeze in his oil pan. Uh oh! So he's parked the truck, and he only wants to use it on a part-time basis. And he said, "How long could I expect to use the truck without any major issues? Is there a threshold or sign where I should park it and not drive it anymore to prevent major engine failure?" And my answer is. Park it right now, drain the oil, and drain the antifreeze because there's already antifreeze in his rod and main bearings. And it doesn't take much antifreeze to eat into the rod bearings and etch into the crankshaft. He may already have some issues. If he really wants to protect it, he'll drain everything and try to flush it and then pull the rod and main bearings out and clean those. And if he's not going to put new rod and mains in, at least... Um, clean them and wash the engine out to get the antifreeze out of the bearings and out of the crankshaft and out of the oil system. So antifreeze is very hard on rod and main bearings. So one, and then I had a, Oh, hold on, Bruce. Let's go go back to that one. Um, So he wants to use the truck once in a while and you're saying do all this, which makes sense. Are, Are you saying then put coolant and oil back in it and run it? No. Okay. No. Okay. No, don't run it. It's done. Yeah, I didn't think so. When there's a pinhole yeah, in the liner, it's done. Do not. Yeah. You can't even use it part time. Got it. That's got to be fixed. And then that's that's cavitation, right? That causes that cavitation in the liner. Yes. And we, you know, we've been talking about coolant, and one of the ways you can have this is by using the green coolant and not recharging it properly. That's the additive that you put in there into the green helps stop cavitation. It's one of the things. Um, the red has that added, has a long-lasting additive like that. That's why I really recommend people switch to the long-life coolants, even on the older engines, because it doesn't take much. You, you know, somebody throws a blank filter on there, forgets to charge it, and then you've got this. We want to talk about cavitation, and we talked about that years ago. Right. So I'm going to be pulling some numbers out of my head. And as the injector fires the, and the piston is slammed down, the liner vibrates. And it vibrates. One of, the, one of them was 1,400 miles per hour, and the other one was 1,200 and I think the liner is at 1,400, but the cavitation forms air bubbles on the outside of the liner as it's vibrating. 
and they are imploded, which means they're crushed inwards. And it's a microjet shock wave, and it's 1,200 and some mile per hour attacking the outside of the liner. Over and over. And that used to be a big prop over and over. Right. Every time at 1,400, you have 700 firings per mile <laughs> right. at 1,400 RPM. So, and that's what the damper, the torsional damper, has to take a lot of that shock out, but it can't take the shock out of the liners. What takes the shock out of the liners is having that upper counterbore be proper. And on the newer engines, like the ISXs and X-15s, they have a mid-stop liner. Pete knows more about that. We'll let Pete talk about the mid-stop liner. But on the big cams, we used to have, this was a real problem. And if you lived on a farm and you used hard water in your green antifreeze, and your upper counterbores were worn, you could put a hole through a liner in 90 days. Wow. That's the fastest I've ever seen it, 90 days. And it was a local Western Pennsylvania guy, and I finally talked him into letting us put upper counterbore sleeves in his block. And Pete was the one that would do that also. And... Once in September 1987, Cummins went to the lower press fit liner and then eliminated the cavitation because it held the liner much tighter. Got it. Yeah, I remember we used to talk about this constantly. This this was a big thing, and you almost yeah. never hear of it today. That's right. It's like a thing in the past. That's why engines will run over a million miles. Yeah. In fact, yeah. we're, we're expecting engines now if you... Um, treat them properly, the new ones, and every 500,000 we clean the DPF and you run the catalyst from day one, you may see 2 million miles out of these new engines. Yeah, I think so. But uh, maybe we need to talk more about these older ones and have to go back and study some of my old articles that we wrote about this. You did a hell of a job explaining cavitation. Yeah. You know, it's it's still in the mind. Yeah. It just, uh, and it may be the numbers may be switched, but it it I think I have it correct. I think it's twelve hundred and some. See the psi or mile per hour the microjet shockwave travels as it etches into the side of the liner. Right. And here's what's amazing: it attacks the liner front to back, but the pistons. If the engine's facing east and west. And as the piston goes around, it's basically north and south, but the liner gets attacked east and west. you think it would attack more on the throat side of the piston coming down, or the rods coming down and wanting to push the piston into that liner. But it's, it's 45, de- no, 90 degrees from that. Hmm. All right. Now, the next question was, how do I know if I need an in-chassis rebuild or an out-of-chassis rebuild? And there's no way of knowing that. Now, if you know that the engine has 2 million miles on the block, chances are it's going to have to come out. If it was 2 million easy miles and it was put on in an inner city and just light loads, maybe maybe it can get another in-chassis. But we don't know until... We remove the head and the liners and the pistons and clean the block surface. And you look at the wear on the block and you mic the upper counterbores. 
Now, if the wear on the block is good, but the upper counterbores are out, we can repair that. We have upper counterbore sleeves. We can cut the upper counterbores. In fact, we've got a new tool on order. It's uh, it's up to $7,200 now, and it's a hand-operated tool. Wow. And there's no electrics in there. You, know, you, you turn it by hand. Yeah. We wore, yeah. The old, we wore the old one out. There you go. That's how many upper counterbores we've cut in the last 47 years. <laughs> and the other thing is once you pull the main bearings out, and let's say you have them lined up east to west, if one side, and it's usually the bottom half of the bearing, if one side is worn more than the other side, so the side facing west is more than the east or east versus west, it's telling you the line bore is out. Okay. And if that's the case, then that has to come out. So when you say the line bore, what you're talking about is the cylinders being in a straight line and the block not being warped in any way, right? Well, the line bore is where the crankshaft sits. Okay. If you had a block and you put the main bearing caps on and there's a tool they have that will go through there and they can tell how much it's spent. The block, right? Or the, or the rock. Or the... In the block. Yeah, okay. In the block. Where, where the crankshaft rides is the line bore. Got it. And, when you, you know, we talked about years ago, especially on the 60 Series Detroits, we would find the crankshafts bent as much as 28 thousandths, and we'd get them straightened, magnifluxed, and polished, and the line bore done. And you have the engine sitting upside down, and you put the, um, at that point, you're putting the upper part of the, main bearing in the block and you put your lubricant on it. Peter, we use an engine assembly lube on that or are we using the 20W50 oil or the Lucas oil stabilizer? Oh, hold on. I got to bring those guys in. Go ahead, Pete. Okay, so when we do bearings, it's the STP oil mixture that we use, the 50-50 okay. mixture. Okay. So it's 15W40 oil and STP. We've been using that for years on injector O-rings, but you couldn't use Lucas oil stabilizer also. So then you set the crank in, and then you put the main bearing cap on, and you torque it down. If you put a bolt, one of the flywheel bolts in the flywheel end of the crankshaft, you should be able to spin that crank effortless. And if you can't, you know the line bore's out. But when the line bore's right, and you were in our shop one time, and you I got was, to witness that. I was just going to say, Bruce, I remember this example very well because I was there in person and you showed me and, and let me feel it. Let me feel the difference between mm-hmm. two blocks, one that wasn't line, and, and it was really difficult to turn, almost impossible. And then the one that was, what a difference. And then you, you think about that. How many of these engines get rebuilt and they're not right? That's correct. And that's a lot of drag. Fuel mileage. Yeah, you're not going to make fuel mileage. That drag drag. is going to be hard on fuel mileage. And drag is friction. Friction means something is wearing out. Mm -hmm. Remember the N14 we had in and we couldn't even turn it with a four-foot breaker bar? (laughs) and. This young man had his beautiful glider kit built, and uh, he said every time he backs off the throttle, the truck feels like it's got a jake brake on. Yeah. And he brought it in, and 
Pete, do you remember how many main bearing caps we had down before the engine would free up? Out of the seven, didn't we have three or four down? It was four. We had to take four down to uh, loosen up that we could rotate the engine. It was still tight. And I've never seen uh, wear on the bearing caps uh, like that engine. It it should never have been assembled. It it was painfully obvious that it was out of spec, and whoever built that engine it disregarded anything and, and put it back together. I don't know how they turned it over, you know, when they were assembling it. So, you know, as a mechanic, you should have very sensitive fingers. Auto body guys and mechanics should be very sensitive to the touch and the feel. And if something hey. doesn't feel right, it's not right. Hey, Bruce, I have a trick and, for the auto body guys on that. Go ahead. So, so when you're feeling a body panel that you've been working on to straighten, repair, whatever, I used to put on a really thin pair of cotton gloves, and then your hand would slide over the surface much easier, and it would increase the sensitivity that you could feel. When I was taught auto body work by Dominic Miola, great Italian guy. And he told me put a red shop rag between my hand and the fender and close my eyes. Same idea. Yep. See, see with your fingers. Right. And it was shocking how you could feel if it wasn't right. And you couldn't see it. You could look at it all day and you can't see that. Yeah, you can't see it. Right. You can't see it. And, and you know, and I did a lot of demolished Corvettes and nothing was straight and flat. You know, it's all curves. Right. And so that's really how you knew the curve was right is by you're there with your eyes closed yep. and you're running your hand back and forth with that rag between. I never thought of the glove. Years ago, I went out, a guy was doing an out of the chassis on his big cam and uh, he was sliding the camshaft in and he couldn't get it to go in number seven bearing. And he said, let's just beat it in, and then it'll break in. <laughs> no way. That will not happen. Yeah. That will, there'll be so much heat in there, it will spin that bearing and ruin your block. Yeah. So money was an issue. Money was an issue. We took crocus cloth. You know, um, is that still the correct term for that cloth that has sandpaper on it? Anyway, crocus cloth, and we, we sanded on that number seven bearing until that crankshaft went in there and turned smooth <laughs> never had an issue <laughs> there you go so but back in the days you know pete and i were you know, if i wasn't on the road pete was on the road we were uh, installing liners and pistons and cutting up our counter bores and uh, cam bearings and cam timing and uh, it was it was interesting some of the places and some of the shops we worked in and how filthy some of the shops were. And there wasn't even a place on a workbench you could put your tools. You know? But anyway, I'm sure Pete has a lot of good stories about that. And I have one other thing All to right. talk about. We encourage people to work on their own trucks. And years ago, people used to adjust their own valves and injectors and jake brakes. But we have a client, uh, Mike McWilliams, and this guy's pretty interesting guy. He's Bakersfield, California. He buys a lot of old army equipment, but he's got a, the Performance Series X15, and he had a, the older ISX2350. Now he has the X15-2350, and 
The intake valve is 14,000, the exhaust valve is 27,000, but this I found amazing is it's seven millimeters on the Jake rake or 0.276, well, 0.250 is a quarter of an inch. Seven millimeters so is big when we're talking it, about that. So, Pete, can you explain to us how the Jake brake works on the ISX and the X15 and how it can be have that big of a gap? Oh, I, it, well, the way it works is is through hydraulic pressure. Oil pressure from the engine uh, comes through the Jake brake when you turn the solenoid on, and there's a what they call the master piston creates the hydraulic pressure that moves the slave piston, which is the one pushing the valve open. Um, now, I don't know why the gap's so big on those because a lot of engines are 18, 23, even some in the 40s, but I've never seen one that big of a gap. That's Yeah, so I've not seen, other than the ISX, I'm not sure what their thought is behind that, why there's so much movement there. I, I don't know why that's unusual. Leroy, do you have any idea? Why the gap is so big? Yes. Well, I mean, the piston does have more relief for the the valve that is being jaked than all the other reliefs on the piston. Like if you look on top of it, the exhaust valve that gets pressed during jaking, that has a deeper relief than the rest of them, like visibly like a lot deeper. So I'm assuming that it's maybe something to do with a lot of back pressure. They don't want the valve to touch. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's also the interesting thing we learned the other day that there is only it's only one valve on the ISX that actually gets depressed. So they're not opening two valves. No, yeah. they don't open two; they just open one. Most jakes open two. The uh, 401 jake brake for the older big cams open one. And oddly enough, it was still a good jake brake. You would think you would lose half the power right. of braking, and you really didn't. It, it doesn't make sense. You'd think, oh, these jakes are going to be weakened. The 401 Jake was a good Jake on a on a big cam. You know, still better than a, a E model cat or a you know C model cat. They still break better only opening one valve. Now, I don't know if they were able to open it up further. Maybe. Yeah, weird. I'm not sure what they went all out, but you know, then they went back to the the next generation Jake break opened both valves again. Hmm. So some engineer had uh, you know a thought why it would be better. Well, also the the ISX has the double lobe for the Jake, where it opens two different times. That way they can cram more, you know, pressure inside. On the other engines, like an N14 or a Detroit, they're using the injector lobe. And the primary purpose of that is to open the injector, or, you know, push the injector down. Right. And they're using as a Jake. So the Jake gets like second billing in that place. Like, okay, it'll work. It's not best. But that's why the ISX Jake bricks are so phenomenal. They have a, a separate lobe just for the Jake brakes. Huh. There is a significant difference. If you get out of, you know, one truck into another with different engines, the ISX is significantly different on how much braking power it has. When they first came out with the signature engine, which would have been 98, 1998, the Jakes came on so strong that they had to program in there where they come on one at a time. I mean, it's milliseconds apart. You don't realize it. But when you hit the Jake switch, it's one, two, three, four, five, and six uh, coming on one after the other and not all at once. Just to kind of ease came on into too hard. it. Yeah. Interesting. 
back in the 80s, we rebuilt a lot of jakes and we came up with a spool. The spool allows oil flow through it and it had a wider gap. And when we would put those in, it would make the jake break noticeably stronger. And our joke at the time was we'd tell the owner-operator, first time you hit these jakes, you better be holding yourself back in the seat with a handle on our, with the steering wheel because your face is going to want to go through that windshield. <laughs> no, it wasn't that drastic. Okay, but, but Yeah, it was it strong. Was, it was very noticeable. And that was back in the days when you would see two different parts and you would look at them and talk about them and mic them and say, well, heck, let's try it. Let's see what happens. You know, I, I've talked. That's, uh, how life, that's how life was back then. Yeah. I, I've talked about how bad that Mercedes engine was that I had. That thing had an exhaust brake. What a joke. It, it made a little bit of noise and you, you didn't feel any real braking out of that thing at all. It was <laughs> awful. I don't even know why they bothered to put it on. The the only time I've ever seen an exhaust brake work well was on a motorhome with the Allison Automatic that would do two things. When you threw the Jake on, it automatically put you in lockup. And then as the RPMs drop, it would automatically downshift and basically tack the governor. Um, And and they they worked pretty well on a coach. Yeah, they kept the RPM high enough. Right. Uh, on its own, yeah. it kept the RPM the, high enough to keep some, yeah, to keep some braking power there. But the it, the exhaust brake on the Mercedes with that kind of weight was just it, it was worthless. Yeah, even in the business class trucks, we we put them on a couple um, local township trucks. They they plowed with and put salt down whatever they need them for, and they did a little more than make noise. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the flap, the flapper valve behind the turbo peak. Yes. It wasn't a real Jake break. I don't like to talk too much on this show about pickup trucks, but the uh, the new Ram, the 6.7 Cummins, uh, mine's a 2016 and with the 27-foot box trailer with four snowmobiles in it and all the gear. In the Rocky Mountains, there's not a hill that I have to use my brakes coming down. In fact, it'll make me go too slow. I have to put it in a different mode. It works that well. And now that's working. That's an exhaust brake and closing the VG turbo, correct, Pete? Yes, that is correct. I'm sure that's that going into lockup as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and the transmissions and lockup. And that works extremely well. So. I had a I had a friend of mine has a new Duramax, and I mean 2024, right? And by his house where he tows his boat, there's this really long downhill by Racetown Lake, and just like his last Duramax, you know, he would it would downshift, turn the exhaust brake on, he rode it the whole way down the hill, the bottom of the thing smoke poured out, and he's like, I figured that something was wrong when I had to turn the wipers on. And it's a sunny day. <laughs> and coolant was spraying under the windshield. It's like, that's when I knew something was wrong. Yeah. It was when I had turned the, well, he, no, he didn't turn the wipers on. The automatic wipers came on. So that's when he knew oh, something was wrong. And it blew up. Okay. It, it had a lot off the side of the block. Wow. And it had like 200 miles on it. He picked it up like oh, a couple days before. Oh. And he, they brought it back like, yeah, we'll put a new engine. And he's like, no, there's coolant all through my brand new truck. He's like, I want another one. <laughs> like I just bought this. Like, I don't want this one back. You take it. Give me another one. Yikes. 
of him. So that's what I have for today. All right. Oh, oh, back back to setting your own valves and injectors. If you buy the engine manual or God, if you go on YouTube, you might see. Now, don't don't go on YouTube and listen to just one. You know, listen to three or four or five different videos of how they do stuff, and then to make sure that one person that's doing that and filming knows what he's talking about. Then you can always call our shop and speak to Brian, our shop foreman, and. The amount of tools you need are minimal. All right. Good stuff. Pete, what do you got this week? So the shop's full again. Got more trucks and we got techs. Uh, we have an old big cam in the shop that came in for a couple issues, and we noticed the stuff coming out of the overflow for the radiator. So we thought maybe it was pressurizing the rad. And here it's putting diesel fuel into the radiator. Um, now that, that generally comes from a crack injector tube or injector cup that's in the cylinder head. Um, what happens is the, the cup will crack. You have fuel pressure there. The fuel pressure is higher than the coolant pressure. So it forces coolant into the radiator or into the cooling system, which the radiator then fills up. And if the tube cracks, that's generally an overheat issue. So at some point, someone overheated it. But, you know, Bruce was talking about cavitation on liners. Uh, you can actually have cavitation on the injector tubes as well. So you have coolant running around them to help take heat away from the injector. And if you don't uh, treat the antifreeze, they will uh, pit up through there and or crack. And when that occurs, you generally get then coolant into the engine, it drips down into the cylinder, uh, past the rings, and then you, you, you it, get coolant in the oil. Can we also get fuel in the coolant? What we did in this case, it depends on where the the crack is at on it. So if it's cavitation and it chews up the O-rings, it's always coolant into the oil. If the cavitation is low enough, it's coolant in the oil. If it's high enough, it puts fuel in the coolant okay. um, because it's where the fuel is at on it. So it depends on where that uh, failure hits the injector cup or injector tube. Got it. So we're, we're investigating that. We got another big cam coming in, a uh, log truck, and it's um, getting a, it's in frame. With uh, we're going to change the time. We're taking it from 300 or 315 horse up to 500 or 550 horse. Is that that auto car? The auto car, yeah. It's an 81 auto car. It's wow. crazy. I feel like for as long as I've been here, I've never seen one of those. And now, just within a month, I've we're, seen. We're having a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're <laughs> getting a lot of the older trucks, in. and this is you know the thing with this is you have a tractor and you need an you know a rebuild, you buy another tractor. But both those big cams, one is a tanker truck. Ah. It's got a nice stainless tanker on it. And the other is a log truck. So you're spending a lot to replace it. Right. So it makes financial sense to rebuild what you have because the piece of equipment would be terribly expensive to replace versus just going picking out a, picking up another um, tractor that's, you know, somewhat affordable and sometimes less money than a rebuild. Yeah. And what, a, what about we have... Uh, a lady that we've known for many, many years, BDEC 5, Detroit, years ago it had to be repaired, and the engine eventually failed on her somewhere, I think, in the southwest. She bought a used engine from a guy in Miami, serial number ground off. Uh, the shop that was putting it in decided to rebuild it, didn't have the right cylinder kits, 
Did it even run a day, Pete? And they took it back apart. It, it didn't run very long um, before it went down. And then tried other cylinder kits. They think maybe this was a marine engine and there was no jake brake. And then they went out and found a jake brake. And, and all said and done, they turned her loose. Would only make 20, 20 to 22 pounds of turbo boost. And back when we had worked on the original engine, we had her set at 720 horsepower. So she really missed a lot of power. So it's in the shop now, and we're researching to make sure it's the right Jake brake to match the rocker arms. And we're removing the cam cover to make sure to see what camshaft it is. And we're going to put it on the dyno and tune it. But it's been a disaster for this poor lady. I think she was down four or five months. Ugh. We've already found two injector, two different part numbers in there for the injectors. So of the six injectors, two had part numbers. They're both different. And the other four, instead of having part numbers, they have that um, QR code in it. Um, you can take a picture of it. The problem is where it's located, you can't take a decent picture of it without pulling an injector out to read, see what part numbers they are. So at least two injectors are or one injector is wrong anyhow. And Adam was uh, did check the jakes. The jakes and rockers match, so that was a good thing because that creates a lot of problems uh, when it's the wrong jake break for the, the rocker assembly. And he was, looking at the amp number. he was looking at the number the last time I was back there and going to give it to Brian to, to research out to see what cam number, which also affects how you set the overhead. So on a Detroit, there's different cam numbers, and you set your overhead according to the cam number. Did we figure out if it has DDEC4 injectors or DDEC5 injectors? Brian had the part numbers. I don't know if he had a chance to look that up yet. It, it has an HK cam in it, which is a 14-liter cam, but with the DDEC4 ECM. So it has HK cam. I don't know if it has HK injectors or HV injectors, and then it obviously has a DDEC5 ECM. It's just a lot of things. It's, I feel like it's, most Detroit's at this age now, are just Frankenstein. And Mr. Potato. Head. I don't know if this combination is going to work. Yeah. yeah. People really got to be careful with it. We're running into this with the N14s, the, the Select and Select Plus. Everyone thinks they're very similar. And in one sense, they are. But in the other sense, they're complete opposites. I mean, it's just something you don't mix and match parts with, even though they'll fit and they look similar. If you're buying an engine and you have a Select Plus truck, you need to buy a Select Plus engine. Um, yes, the other one will fold in there. You can change some wires. It just doesn't work. And same thing with the Detroit. You got to be careful what you're getting. You got to make sure you, you get what you expect. Let's go back to stars. Uh, being we're working on it right now, uh, as we find different things, let's uh, let the people know that are listening to the show what we're finding. Okay, I can check with Brian here real quickly and see what he found out on those injectors in uh, the camshaft. Okay. And run out there, ask him real quick. All right. But you just got to be careful. This matching parts can can really be a problem. Yeah. They, they're not what universal. Else, what else is in the shop? But, uh, uh, so what do we do? We we uh, have that ISX that we're waiting for parts still. We have another ISX that we've finished up. bunch of bunch of different stuff like damper, radiator, kind of maintenance type stuff. Got Star's truck in there. The old big cam. I'm not sure what's in the last bay. The wash bay. The truck getting the radiator, what kind of truck is it? It was a 386 peak. Yeah, there's a cement truck that we have to get in the shop for codes. It's got an X12 in it. It's kind of crazy how different the X12 is from the X15. 
just like looking at it like totally different intake manifold and different EGR cooler. And the kind of the funny thing is it looks like the exact same EGR valve, but instead of sticking straight up and down, they just laid it on its side. And I don't know if that's just because it's packaging issues with because it's a cement truck or if just the X12 looks like that. I don't know. It's very interesting to look at the difference between those two engines. And You'd think it looks like a baby. you think that it would be the same thing, just sort of shrunk down. Yeah, but it's very different. So years ago at Cummins class, I had questioned the instructor, instructor on when you're looking up stuff, and this would be N14 days, something for an N14 versus M11, they call things different names. Like when you're looking up in QuickServe, uh, instead of saying exhaust manifold, one will say exhaust manifold when you're looking up the manifold part number. The other one will say turbo arrangement. And I'm like, why is that? He said, well, you got two groups of engineers that don't like each other. Oh, great. So that's why if I'm calling it a you know, manifold, the other one's going to call it something different just because they don't like the other guys. So they didn't seem to be team players there. How you can have, I you know. You know, Pete, all the years I spent at the Cummins factory in Columbus, Indiana, I never heard that. So I wonder if that instructor was making that up. He might have been making that up. And again, it yeah. could be that Tom said, hey, let's call it this. But it's it, uh, nice if everyone, you know, if you're looking for an exhaust manifold, I should be able to look and it should say exhaust manifold and not turbo arrangement. <laughs> turbo or like arrangement. Like radiator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool, yeah. Like the, cooling the complex. Engineering. Yeah. Yeah, it's heat exchanger. I get that, but it also radiates heat. But <laughs> if you call it a radiator to physics people, they'll lose their mind. Oh boy! So is it is it a radiator or is it a radiator? Uh, I think it radiates. So <laughs> I say radiator. Okay. I've also said radiator. So. It depends on what R A D I A. This could be hey. rad. Hey. Bruce, that's why you like to say it radiator, because then you can shorten it to rad. If you say radiator and you try to shorten it to raid, everybody will be confused. Huh. Okay. Well, you know, you have to realize in Western Pennsylvania, we say crick. Everyone else says creek. We say roof. Everyone else says roof. The, but the real test yes, I know the, the, the real test is is what you call the carbonated water in bottles. Soda. Yeah. Coke we call it, we call it Coke or Pepsi. <laughs> I refer to everything as Coke. See, I thought it that was, was a southern thing. You guys are in the south. I I thought the Coke <laughs> thing was southern. I I thought you guys being We're so close it. to Ohio would have called it pop. That's what it's called called Ohio. It yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I refuse. The, the the Coke is a southern thing. And then the rest of the country says soda. And soda. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. RC was a cola. Hey, we used to get a sixteen ounce bottle of RC for ten cents when we were kids <laughs> at the local store. Sixteen ounce. Yeah. yeah, out of a machine. We also got huge candy bars for a nickel. Yeah. Yeah, those days are gone. Yeah. And now I can't buy a house under a quarter million dollars. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With, with an 8% mortgage, meaning you're going to pay back three times uh, the amount you spent. If you take it for 30 years, right? Correct. And, I mean, what choice do these people have? The houses are so expensive and the interest rate is so high, even 30 years makes it a crazy payment. But if you if you 
Look at 30 years versus 15. Oh, it's... It's a huge difference in what you're going to pay back. And if you just work a little bit harder, you can do the 15-year mortgage. That's how what I always did was 15 years. I, I just knew I had to work harder. Leroy is, is, My rule was I had to rebuild one more turbocharger <laughs> per week. And Hey, Leroy, is Bruce trying to get more work out of you here? It sounds like it. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me, too. No, no, it, no that's, it, that's how it, I used to look at things. No, if I, I know, wanted to buy a I new know. car, You're right. how much harder was I going to have to work? That's okay. Now i got to build a... I got to build another fuel pump or another set of injectors. Or yeah, no, you're do right. another head job, head yeah. gasket job. You know, so yeah, it's uh, the real estate market <laughs> is a mess right now. Just a mess. I, I'm looking at a property. Yeah. We've been we've been looking at properties in the gorge since we moved here. I mean, it's a regular thing. We've bought a couple over the years. We're always looking to buy more. And I've just been waiting for these prices to come down, and they're not. In fact, they're on their way back up where we are for some weird reason. And we have been looking for a very specific property for about 10 years. I mean, they there aren't that many of the properties we're looking for in the gorge. And actually, we had to get a little bit out of the gorge to find this one, but we're close enough. Uh, absolutely love this property. We just went and looked at it the other day. Uh, I want this thing. I want it really bad. And that's not a good place to be when you're looking to invest money. But this is more than just an investment. So I think we're going to pull the trigger and we're going to buy it at this price. And it makes me a little crazy that I'm going to. But I, we've looked so long for a property like this. Now that one came up, I just don't want to miss this one. So if it were just pure investment, I wouldn't mm-hmm. do it. But it's going to be more than that. So um, I think we got to... We got to figure out, and I think we're going to pull the trigger on this one. But the the market's a mess. I mean, I fully expect that I could do this, and in six months to a year, uh, a, a property like this might be about two hundred thousand dollars cheaper. Wow! So we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. Yeah, how I, I, I was looking when they. Yeah, last week I was at home playing on the internet and just looking for houses in my area for no reason. Yeah, not planning on moving, but what what they want for houses? I mean, you could not move in without doing extensive work on them. And now keep in mind, you can get a you know uh, a move-in ready house, uh, three bed, small three bedroom ranch for like one seventy five at one time, and you know literally just move in. A house is a hundred grand that you would have to put another fifty grand in before you could move in. I mean, the, the kitchens were terribly outdated the bathroom yeah needed carpeting some of them had paneling and just i, I can't believe what they're asking for these homes hey hey pete <laughs> that the, our area has gotten so ridiculous i'm looking at a house across the street from me um custom build but it's like uh if i remember it's like 1900 square feet and the lot is so small i mean it's almost what they call a zero lot line the your house can be five feet away from your side property lines and the other house next to you can be five feet. So you literally only have 10 feet between the houses. That's how small these lots are. So you can, you can pass the gray poupon and window. Yeah, you actually can. There's virtually no yard. Even the front yard is like a little postage stamp. It's that house is listed right now. Remember like, 
2,000 square feet, something around there. Now it's got some nice finishes. It is more of a custom build, $750,000. Wow. Wow. I think we better get back to diesel engines. Yeah. Yeah, that's depressing. Uh, all right. Let's get to some phone calls. I think we've covered everything. We went well, about Leroy. Leroy. Oh, Leroy. You forgot about Leroy. Jump in. What do you got? I'm always forgetting them. Um, so I've been doing multiple big projects that are sort of irrelated this week, and it's a little overwhelming. The D12 project for Pete, I know he's not this Pete, but another Pete, been working on. I'm getting ready to send that out finally after a couple of weeks. Hopefully I get some good info back on that, and the D12 stuff will be able to go live because right now we're just doing the D13 and the MP8, the 2011 and newer. Um, so there's that. And then there's the Picoscope, the vibration analysis stuff that we talked about last week. I finally got a truck in here. And this truck is one of those ones that I feel like I can't lose on because we see so many glaring issues with this old Freightliner that I'm at the point now where I just have to have the machine prove what we can see visually. I mean, if you roll under it, all the U-joints are bad. I sort of went through the Hawkeye with Adam and just sort of held the flashlight for him and was like, well, what about this? And what's this mean? And what's that mean? And you know, he showed me some stuff. So that was nice. And the U-joints are bad. The uh, what carrier bearing, carrier bearing, he, something hit it. I think the driver said, I think he ran over something and then it hit the carrier bearing. So he knows it's all messed up. And then the pinion bearing pretty much on both differentials are just trash. I mean, you can grab it and they make very audible clunking noises. And I guess the driver knows about it because I asked him. Um, I was like, well, where do you feel like the vibration most? Is like the seat, the floor, the steering wheel? He goes, the rear diff. That's pretty specific. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so using the machine, it's able to, to sort out all the frequencies of all the vibrations that are going on in the truck. And it's pretty interesting how you can take something from theory and things I've read online to actually putting, you know, where the rubber meets the road. And it's doing a, exactly what I want it to. And I can see a little bit of a vibration on both the first order and the second order for anything that's U-joint or differential phased in the gear that I was in, something that's tails to a drive shaft speed. I can see that. And I can also see that there's something going on at wheel speed. Uh, a pretty major vibration at wheel speed, which is sort of surprising. Um, it might be the rollers on the dyno, but we're going to take it for a test drive. But this is still just sort of initial results. But uh, the, I think the most surprising thing about all of it is I've put plenty of trucks on the dyno for vibrations before, and they all feel like they all vibrate a lot. And when I put it on there and using the machine, when I see it visually all separated, I would have never thought that I could feel all that. Or I guess you can't really feel is what I'm trying to say. When you put a truck on the dyno, you can't feel individual vibrations, but I can see it using this tool. Right. So now when I put it on there, I can use the, the screen and graph everything out and I can pinpoint and it becomes more intuitive versus how it used to be when we're just sort of guessing like, oh, well, that kind of feels like that's like a transmission thing or yeah. that kind of feels like it's a suspension thing or something. And it's, it's really crazy how much, how many vibrations there are that you can't feel is I guess what I'm trying to say. So that we don't even know they're there. You mean? Yeah. Or it's just hard to like individually identify where it is. Right. Everything. Right. Because it just feels like when you mix all the, it's, it's a lot like sound. I mean, you'll know like about this, Kevin, like 
if you were to, to like play music and you wanted to make a C chord, you have three different notes and it makes a C chord, right? And it's sort of like that with your truck with vibrations. You could have the tire vibrating, you could have the drive shaft vibrating, you could have the transmission doing this. You put it all together and it makes its own unique sort of vibration. So every truck you go for a ride, you're like, yeah, I feel that. I don't know what that is, you know, unless it's really bad. But so, so Leroy, we have we have new asphalt on two twenty eight. Have you put it on a good truck, a newer truck, and driven it down two twenty eight? No, this is the first truck that I hooked up and sort of am playing with. Um, okay. We've just had it on the dyno. I've not could even take it for a road test yet. But um, yeah, it's, it's sort of like breaking down a a chord on like a piano or a guitar or something into its all of its individual notes to see which one's the loudest. Got it. Hey, Leroy, are you familiar with the Bose seat? Uh, I've heard of it. I don't know much about it. Yeah, it doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and it, and it, since we're talking about vibration, that's why I'm bringing it up. People really misunderstood what the what the real reason for the technology was. So what they did was they, they took a seat. And I, I was there at the beginning of this. What happened was Bose has some of its own trucks, semis, and they run around you know, Massachusetts and all over doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And one day their driver came in and he was talking to, you know, some of the engineers and the people that worked there. And he's complaining about his back being sore all the time. The roads were so bad. And they had been working on, Bose had been working on a project for about 20 years at the time. And it was a suspension system for a car that used actuators. I guess that's what you would call them, and, into, and they were electronically controlled to respond, and they showed us this car that they had. They invited me to come out there, and I spent a couple days there. In this car, they showed us a video of this car, and if I remember right, it was that little two-door Opal, that little Corvette-looking thing, but it was smaller. It's going through a parking lot and it's heading towards a Jersey barrier at about 40 miles an hour. And when it gets to the barrier, it jumps over it. That's yeah, how, I think I've seen that video. That's how powerful the actuators were. And then it shows it going through a slalom course. And instead of the body rolling to the outside, it actually dives to the inside because the they can program the actuators. So... They just they thought, hey, you know, why don't we take that concept and build a driver's seat for the truck to do the same thing? It runs off actuators. And it was pretty interesting. We got through the whole story. Their first attempts worked really good, except it used so much power it would kill the batteries. So then they actually designed it to be self-recovering. It used its own motion to charge its own battery. So it wasn't pulling so much off the truck batteries. I mean, it was really interesting. And then they mm -hmm. released it for sale and it was $6,000, the first seat. And we were part of, I can imagine. Yeah. Trying to help them market it. And the, most people thought that the idea was it was really supposed to give you this incredibly smooth ride. And it, it did. It was, but it was an interesting, it took a while to get used to. When, you know, if you think about the way an air seat works, the truck drops into a dip. And then after that, the seat kind of follows, right? You, the momentum continues, your seat dips down and bounces back up. What would happen on this seat is if the truck dipped, the seat would stay level. 
the seat wouldn't drop. It was it, so it, it was actually a little disorienting the first time you drove it because the seat wasn't doing what you expected it to do. But the real reason they <laughs> developed it was to offset all the vibrations in the truck. It's stuff that we don't even realize we're feeling. Like you're you're saying there's all kinds of vibrations at different frequencies going on and trying to pull them out is is virtually impossible. And their research showed that that all that vibration was really unhealthy and it was actually unsafe. They showed how in their seat when you were driving through like a really congested city scape that the people not in a seat like this had a slower reaction time to things like people stepping off the curb because the vibration kind of messed with your vision a little bit. Yeah. And there's even studies uh, like uh, along the lines that you're talking about that vibrations at certain frequencies, there's a whole, it's charted out. So you have uh, one axis is, is types of vibrations and then like how hard that vibration is and different vibrations lead to driver fatigue faster than others. Right. And it's like you can take you can maybe take a really low end vibration, low frequency vibration a lot, but you can't take a high frequency one. Yes. And that's how they plot out like if you were to go to like a dealer, like a level three engineer or something like that and be like, my truck has a vibration. They might tell you it's below the, the spec. You know how you know, yeah. OEM specs Factory are. Specs, like, right. hey, it's below the spec. You should be able to tell it. But yeah, it's, that definitely leads to driver fatigue and all sorts of other health issues. Yes. Well, that's why what we found out when we started putting on the mercury-filled engine balancer with the new torsional damper, you could drive about two hours longer per day on the same amount of energy. That could make sense. The same amount of body energy because you weren't feeling all that through the steering wheel and through the pedals and your shifter wasn't vibrating and your door locks. Yep. It was really great on the old A model KWs because the little door, the lock for the door, when the damper was bad, that thing would just vibrate. The shifter would vibrate, <laughs> put a new damper and balancer on, and it was gone. There you go. So, All right. Leroy, do you have anything else? Hey, uh, back, back oh, to that. Go ahead, what, what, no, wait, back to that bow seat. Didn't Jackie warmly buy one? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we I actually. Mean, uh, she's still using it. We in the last glider we built, we had two of them. They were pretty incredible. Okay. Yeah, I, I liked thought they were like eighty five hundred. You said six thousand. They started at six. Um, at one point, I think they were down around four with some specials. Then Bose dropped the whole project, and another company bought it. Um, and and we know it because they approached us. Um, they went back through all the history and found out we were part of it and they approached us and, and I just basically turned them down. I said, look, we tried this once. Um, it's just too expensive. People don't understand the benefits of it. You know, Bose had really hoped that the OEMs would pick it up and, and at least one did. I know Volvo offered it as a factory option, but it was still an expensive option and people just weren't buying it. And here's the thing. It was a really expensive seat. I will say this. The seat itself was not very comfortable. It was a really interesting ride, and you did feel better and fresher at the end of the day. But to me, the seat was way too firm. The actual seat itself was not that comfortable. Hmm. Maybe Jackie could call in and tell us about her buzz and her experience with 
Yeah, we had we had a, a lot of regular listeners that had them. So somebody may, and I don't, I haven't heard from anybody if they're still working or not because we're going way back to like '09, I think, is the year they released that. If I remember yeah, and right, and that six at six thousand dollars was a whole lot more well, money back. That was then, a lot. Too. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Are we going to go to calls? Sure. I, you know, I do have one more thing. Hey, well, wait. Uh, one other thing. Leroy, if Star's engine, if it's a D-Deck 5 or the D-Deck 4 ECM, you're going to be able to take care of that and make things right? We're going to try. Okay. That's the goal. Okay. All right. Um, I hate to even mention this, but I'm going to because I'm seeing it already. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Um, but people might want to start thinking about this. I read two articles this morning, mask mandates coming back. One was a college and one was a a movie theater company. They're bringing back mask mandates. Yeah. Mike Perkins, one of our operators sent me a long video. I watched it this morning. By mid September, they want all of us to be wearing masks again. It's not happening this time. Not at all. I complied a little bit last time, mostly because if the local businesses were required, I wasn't going to go in somebody's business and make a big deal out of it. Um, and I won't this time. I just won't go in your business. If there's a mask, man, I'm just not putting one on this time. It's not going to happen. I didn't do it very often last yeah. time. I'm not going to do it at all this time. Now they're blaming it on the Canadians, right? Something's coming down <laughs> yeah. from Canada. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. carry down the smoke probably, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want people to be aware of it. You might want to decide what you're going to do this time. Let's uh, let's get to some phone calls. Let's go to Colorado. Tom, welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. What can we help you with today? Can you hear me? Yeah. Sound good. Go ahead. Hear you. Yeah. Thank you. I've got a MX-13. And uh, Bruce and uh, Junior and Eric turned it up a couple of years ago. I went in there with about 423 horsepower, about 1,400 foot-pounds of torque. And when I come out, I was doing right at 600 with 1,895 foot-pounds of torque. And uh, so pretty satisfied with it. The problem I have right now is I haul oil field equipment over the Rockies. And I'm either super heavy or super high. I'm either catching a lot of wind. The problem I'm having is I can't keep my oil temperature down, Bruce. So I'm running, I'll run the oil temperature on this thing uh, almost 10, 12 hours a day at 240 degrees. That's all right. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can control it. Coming up Vail, coming up Eisenhower, sometimes I got to pull over and let her cool down one time. She'll make the pull. Uh, Hold on. Hold on one second. The thermostats in oil coolers are set at 236. Um, Mineral oil is good to 300, and synthetic is like 400 or 450. Are you running synthetic oil? Yeah. I'm I'm running – right now, I am running – uh, Shell Rotella synthetic blend in it, uh, 1030. Yeah. Don't, if you're at 240 degrees, don't pull over to cool it down. You're fine. 
your thermostat just opened. The only problem is, Bruce, is if I run it up uh, close to 250, she starts throwing codes and, and, uh, and that, you know, it kind of freaks you out. So that's why I pull it over and let her cool off. And, uh, what kind of code? Uh, oil, and engine oil overheating or something to that effect. It throws a code on my dash, the warning to, to pull, you know, to take care of the problem. What kind of truck is it? It's a 589P. Well, you know, there's a lot of oil coolers for race cars and other things. And you got a lot of oil pressure in a diesel engine in a semi-truck. Why don't you yeah. put a put a cooler out in front of the air conditioning con- condenser? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. That was the nature of my call was to see if you had any suggestions as how to cool this oil down. Uh, because you you you've been over you've been over them mountains a, a hundred times, and you know that some there's there are some places coming up Vale that you can't pull over if you if you're exactly. getting trouble. You, you're you're stuck in in the right hand lane blocking mm-hmm. traffic. So yeah, any suggestions? But uh, yeah. you know how we you know we do the auxiliary coolant tank when we use an air tank. Um, I'm not saying use an air tank and add another five gallon of oil, but that would probably work too. And I would plumb it the same way that we plumb a bypass oil filter. Oh okay, but. Uh, well, I- and just follow the same procedure, but run it through an oil cooler. Okay, yeah, that I can I can try that. I've got a good I've got a pretty good mechanic at home. I, I'll uh, uh, see if he can do that for me. Sure, he can. Yeah, he's a good mechanic. He can do it. Um, do you have the OPS system on there? I don't. You know, I don't. Okay, I would. Uh, Look at the instructions for that and run the oil cooler the same way. Oh, cool. And just look, go on the Internet and see who has the, the largest one. The OPS system? No, the largest oil cooler. Oh, okay. Yeah, I tried looking that stuff up, and I didn't have any luck. I came up with a bunch of cooling uh, oil cooling systems for, for automobiles, but they, they, I couldn't find any related trucks well that's okay look and see which one's the largest i'll yeah. google it right now and see what i come up with right on also wanted to say something about your max mileage this truck uh when i first got it we put almost thirty-eight thousand dollars into the emission systems on this thing with in and out of the shop peterbilt it is five thousand, six thousand, forty five hundred until we almost uh pulled our hair out with the uh trouble we were having. So when I went to using the max mileage on this Bruce mm-hmm. uh two and a half years ago, this thing don't even uh regen anymore. That's how much go. difference made in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm trying to get into some of these townships and counties because 
every time they're sending a truck in, it's minimum of $7,000. We found a fire company and in two fire trucks this year, they've spent 47,000 on emissions. And this is all taxpayers money. So I did some calculations, find out we're spending over a billion dollars a year just for emissions on government vehicles that we have to pay for. Do do you remember the two oil drilling rigs in South Texas that you got them on the max mileage because they were having to regen once a day at the cost of $100,000 an hour? Do you remember that? No, I don't. Um, Yeah. I I know we had... There's drilling rigs there where they drill the 24-inch diameter hole, and then they fill it with rock and dry cement, and then the moisture from the earth makes it a concrete pillar, and then they build the buildings on, and they're run by Deutz, which are air-cooled diesel engines from Germany, and they have the full emissions on them. And every morning they have to do a 45-minute regen before they can start boring their hole, but one guy ran the catalyst in his good friend of Al Hemerson's ran the catalyst in his Ford diesel pickup. And so he ran it in his drill machine and uh, their lead mechanic had a fit saying, well, Deutsch might not cover it for warranty. Well, our answer was, well, there is no warranty because you're not having any failures. And how is Deutsch going to know that there's catalyst in the fuel? Nobody can tell there's one ounce of 25 gallons in there. And plus, it, it doesn't cause any warranty issues. And he is that, that operator has since left and he started his own company. But, uh, there they are. They have all their people sitting there doing regens for 45 minutes every morning because of one lame brain mechanic. Yeah, I tell you what, it made a difference in in my world. I, I see uh, there's a group on Facebook. It's all MX13, and 90% of those boys are having uh, problems with uh, their uh, emission systems. And I tell you what, this that that max mileage just changed changed the way this MX13 operates. Man, I mean, it made all the difference in the world. Um, yeah. I'm I'm not an MX13 fan. I'm a I'm a Cummins I'm a Cummins fan. But man, I should tell you what, it made all the difference in the world. Hey, here's a a cool line hydraulic oil cooler from Granger's. It's four hundred and forty four dollars. It's the largest one that I see. Let me see if I can see what the capacity is. Um, 30 gallons per minute maximum flow. Might be something to look at. Yeah, I'll check it out. It, it, especially if it's at Granger. I have a Granger right in my in my town, so I'll check it out. Yeah, but anyway. it's called Cool Line. I don't know how big this is. It looks big in the on the uh, the computer, and uh, if not, I wonder if you went to a company that made radiators, if they would make you one. Yeah, I talked to Pete the other day, but he said they don't make y'all don't make the big radiator for these uh, this style of truck only for the for the hoods. Yeah, it's getting tough. Um, People that make radiators are being bought out by larger companies, and larger companies do not like to do specialty work for small people like us. Yeah, for sure. 
So this says flow rate two to thirty gallons per minute. It's made out of aluminum. Yeah. I'm gonna check it out. Thanks for looking that up for me and uh and uh Oh heck wait a minute. they have uh they have even some bigger ones here. They have one for six hundred and six dollars. Yeah, take a look at that. Before you buy it, call me. Before you buy it, call me. Let's talk about it. Okay? I sure will. And I'm from Colorado originally, so we called we called Pepsi anything we drank out of a uh, a can or, or or you know a cold drink. It was Coke. See, down I, I thought in that Texas. was a Southern thing. I didn't think that was anywhere else, but I guess it is. Oh, oh no! Is up north? It was everything was Coke down in down in the south in in Texas when I was a little kid. Everything was soda water. And down down in Alabama, Georgia, and uh, Louisiana, it was uh, soda pop. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird why that happened. Who knows? Let's, uh, let's get to another call. If you want to join us, we've got some lines open. Jump in. 855-950-3835. We're off to Michigan. AJ, welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Kevin. So... I've um, got a question, but before I get to it, of course, I got a comment on on a couple of things. My old man ran uh, dirt cars down in um, Lincoln, Williams Grove, uh, Port Royal, all that. Uh, those tracks down there in Central PA. We were from Baltimore, but we moved up to Southern PA, and ran, he ran all those. He called it a radiator, and uh, radiator. He also <laughs> radiator, but he also he also put an H on the end of height, which drove me nuts. He still says it today, and it drives me bonkers. But I always got to keep her. Reminding them that there's no H on the end, but and then as far as uh, as far as soda in New England, which is where we live now, call it uh, they call it tonic, not me, not we, but they call it up there a tonic. You want a tonic? A tonic, yeah. huh? Uh, tonic, yeah. I guess it's from tonic water and everything else is tonic too, flavored tonic, whatever. They also got moxie in Maine, but that stuff's horrible. <laughs> so I got um, mm-hmm. yeah, good Maine. Maine uses a lot of different things like lobster roll, right? Lobster. Yeah. And, uh, Sarsaparilla is a, a beverage of some sort. Got you've there. got a pancake house up there. It's Bickfords. They call it Bickfords. Yep. Bickfords. Bickfords. Dice Arch Truck Stops got some good breakfast, too, if anybody's up there. <laughs> anyway, so David Dysart's no longer with us, is he? Uh, I believe he's not. Yeah. He loved pushing dirt with a bulldozer, and I would call up there because he had owner-operators leased to him, and they'd stop by the shop, and I'd call and say, David, so-and-so's here, and this is what we need to do with his truck. He says, okay, go ahead and do it. Send me the bill. And uh, the secretary would say when I'd call, he's out pushing dirt. I'd say, where's he pushing it? She says, across the parking lot. And I said, what happens when he gets it all the way across the parking lot? She said, well, then he turns around and pushes it back. The man loved bulldozers. So Dysert's truck stop. And didn't he also own a marina? He's got all kinds of stuff. I think they had a hotel up there. They had a marina. He had his hand in there. Yeah, I used to enjoy talking. We had another guy. He owned a bank in Minnesota. And several owner-operators uh, dealt with him. It was their bank, and they'd come in and say, "I call so and so," and I'd call him, and and we were on a first name basis. He said, "Yeah, go ahead and fix the truck. Send me the bill." We don't have that kind of 
thing anymore where people no. trust people like that. Uh, all the big banks bought out the small banks. and So when I got into this business uh, 47 years ago, my dad got, did a lot of business with the Allegheny Valley Bank, and he took me into the president of the bank, and I borrowed $3,500. And he looked at me and said, how are you going to pay this back? I said, I'm going to work on trucks. Here we are. I still have some of that original equipment I bought with that $3,500. There you go. So uh, last couple, last year, in the last year, I've heard people talk about some questions with how much, uh, what their death consumption has been and, and how they, and it's right around 300 miles for a gallon of death. And... I was, you know, I never really paid attention to it. I just ran it so I would just, pay, you know, track it. But this past year has been dropping down, and it's around, it went down to around 280 where it floated for a while. And then I started on this regular run up here from New England to Michigan. And I'm always looking for, you know, things to better everything. So I started trying to run diesel. My whole trip is all 10 or 20% biodiesel. So I started running out of this place, and ever, ever since I started running out of this place exclusively, it's gone up to, right now it's at three, like the last one I just got 343, it's been as high as 354, my 90 is 323 and it's climbing, so my death consumption is going down with the number two diesel. What's your, I just want to know what your, your thoughts are on that uh, biodiesel on the emission systems and the effect on it. Anybody have any thoughts? You, you I, really? got any inform- Part, yeah, I, don't. I don't know if you guys have any, any experience with, you know, <laughs> here's, you guys having problems with the with here's, fuel. Here's part of the problem. Um, conventional fuel is fairly consistent. You know, the refining process has been around forever. You have different blends in different places. But for the most part, fuel, conventional fuel is pretty consistent. Biodiesel isn't. There's all kinds of methods to make biodiesel. There's different materials. They make it from algae, from corn, from all kinds of stuff. And with all those variables in there, it's hard to figure out much of anything. For the most part, we know biodiesel creates more problems than conventional does. Um, It's gotten better over the years, but it's really hard to nail down fuel because you don't even know what you're getting half the time. You know, they might call it biodiesel, but where did it come from? Where was it blended? Um, so we, we see more problems with it, but I haven't seen any um, consistency or any real studies on it. Yeah, I don't I mean, have any just, experience. You go to the, they go to the pump. They don't, even, they don't even tell you. You just got the little sticker that says it's, you know, 20% that, that's or 10%. What I mean. But if you right. go on to your, you know, yeah, if you go on to like the TA app, it says 20%. B ultra low, you know, ultra low sulfur diesel. And it's, you know, I had to, I, I, re, I started realizing, I know people say it's bad and I didn't know, and I want to know why. And all, and I wanted evidence. And here I am with evidence that ever since I started using number two exclusively out of this TA in New Hampshire, it's been, it's you know, up, up and up back where it was when I first bought the truck. Yeah. See, there's not How a lot of affected your fuel mileage. How's it affecting what? Your fuel mileage. That's what I'm, I'm trying. I mean, the fuel mileage went up at the same time, but I don't know if that's because of the summer blend because I changed it in June. At the end, we, end of June, I started running out. So since the end of June, it's, uh, it's improved. But that you know, we from the summer blend, and so could the death consumption. When it first came out, we tried 
getting people to track it. And it's really difficult because you're in the middle of a tank and you go to top off and now you got biodiesel. And it was really difficult to try to separate out any results. We were never able to show that there was a, a, a noticeable improvement in fuel economy. We were trying to see if that was the case. We, we were just never able to really pull that out of the numbers. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, it's definitely not as dra- It's definitely not as big an improvement in diesel as it is the depth. Yeah, the, the, so, I mean, the that's like sixty miles. You know, it'd be interesting to see more of that kind of testing and, and to see if that stays consistent. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you. I'll keep you in the loop. Now, I'll let you know. I'm going to keep on. I always test every. I mean, check every. Yeah. Monitor and record every every fuel up. So. Um, I think that was uh, all I had. But one thing about the vibrations, I, I worked at Ford the dealership for a while, and they sent me to a vibration class. And this guy had us re- record vib- vibrations on the dashboard with a, I think it's a cerometer. It has a little, a little stick, uh, like mechanics wire sticking out of it, and you turned it. And when that thing stopped vibrating, you looked at the number on there, and that was the, the, the frequency of the vibration. And then from there, he had an equation that we did. And from that number of that equation, we we could we you knew if it was a fast vibration, slow vibration. We could tell if it was a tire or a drive shaft or anything in between. That was, no, pretty, that's pretty, uh, cool. That was pretty cool. It sounds like hmm. that you do the same thing, put it down, and it does all the calculations for you. So I'm pretty interested in that. <laughs> yeah, no, I have to check out what you're talking about. That sounds a little bit easier. Um, but it definitely doesn't show you yeah, graphically yeah. or you know separate or anything like that, but um, no, that's pretty cool. All right. Yeah, they- we uh, we got to get to some calls. They're starting to pile up on us. We're going to head off to Georgia. Roland, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. I got an engine code today, and I have the scan gauge from you. How do I read this? And will you guys might know what the code means? Potentially. What do you got? All right. The first... It says number on the top. There's the number ID, FM, and CNT. And then the numbers are one, three, two, five, one, five, and one. Okay. So at the, at the top, you're, what, what's the first number by itself? Uh, the number one okay. is underneath the hash, the number sign. And then the ID is three, two, five, one. Three, two, five, one. Yep. And then there's and like then an the, FMI number or a code number? There's an FM5. And then okay. a CTN is the number one. Yeah, so the CTN is, is a count. That means it's, there's just one count of this fault code. All right. And this is a 2017 Freightliner with the DE13. Um, let me see if I can find something. All right. So it looks like 3251 is DPF pressure out very high. So that's saying the pressure reading from the back of the DPF is high, whether that's because of like a plug decomp tube or some sort of SCR issue. It could be a wiring problem or... But uh, it's something to do with the DPF pressure being high. All right. Sounds good. I did just start using the... uh catalyst in this so i'm thinking it might get be getting clogged up and clean it out how many miles are on the engine uh 531,000. what engine is it dd13 or certainly going through a cleaning process why did you wait so long to use the max mileage catalyst 
uh, I just bought this truck at five hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah, that's what's happening. You're going through a cleaning process, probably. All right. Can the diesel force cleaning be the... done on that? Hey, hold on. That's it. Pete, the yes, diesel force be done have. on the DD13? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. That yep. would be the best thing to do is do the diesel force. Then let's uh, clean, clean the DPF yeah. and then run the catalyst, and then you're, you're good to go for another half a million. Sounds good. I need the... Uh, Camshaft dampener and balancer as well. Crankshaft. Yes, crankshaft. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. I'll uh, see when I can schedule that. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Okay. Let's go to Missouri. Tyler, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are we doing today, gentlemen? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, man. I spoke with you last Friday about this uh, this A-cert I've got in this century. Um, I come from having a bunch of 12 sevens don't really know a whole lot about this this motor but my question for the guys was uh i was looking online i've got a tick over here on the manifold side i heard that it's pretty common on these with the heat that they create that those manifolds uh give out i i i didn't see one on the website and i it's the first time i have ever gotten on there so i could have been in the wrong spot i just wanted to verify that is something you guys can ship me correct that is correct Okay. My next question. This truck's got 1.1 on it. I bought it from the original owner. Um, it runs like a top. I have, I have no paperwork for turbos or anything. Yeah. I mean, preventative maintenance wise, is it smart for a guy while he's got them off to put a manifold on to just throw the turbos on there? Is that something you guys could sell me to, or what's your opinion yeah. on that? The uh, port and ceramic coated manifold does wonders for an insert cat. Okay, Bruce. I uh, I had every intention on getting over to Effingham, Illinois, and remote tuning this thing as well because I mean it's a baby, but uh, it is getting six two, six to six two on the fuel, which is uh, pretty good, I thought. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, motor wise, I mean, I gotta say that this, this thing keeps oil pretty clean all the way up to about five thousand miles, which I'm not used to seeing out of my Detroit. Is there a rhyme or reason for that, Bruce? Just a cat clean, cleaner burning motor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how to answer this one, so uh, I'm going to pass on that question. No problem. I just uh, it was something I noticed. It's uh, it's clean. Other than that, gentlemen, I I guess I really don't have anything else. I didn't have any notes. I appreciate your hey, time. And the uh, the A the A you know, the actuators are actually like EGR valves opening the intake. So you do want to run the max mileage catalyst in there because. The uh, what they call acert snot builds up, and it's a mixture of oil, soot, and carbon in the intake manifold. So the catalyst will eliminate that for you. I have heard and seen a lot of guys talk about those uh, talk about those actuators, and I was not sure what that was. Kevin had Kevin had educated me a little bit last week about basically this thing has an internal EGR on it, and that's all uh, right. new stuff to me. So. Yeah, man, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll pick some catalogs also, up. Also, does it have the stock original mufflers on it? I want to say it does, Bruce. It's got dual exhaust, you know, coming straight out the back. I, I, I want to say they're original, but I, I don't want to lie to you. I don't. Those are catalytic converters, and they're probably very well clogged. And if you put two of our mufflers on it, uh, you might see upwards to a half mile a gallon out of it. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> okay. Well, I've got a couple things Q- I'd like to do. The QP, the quiet flow mufflers, do wonders on that engine. What kind of truck's it in? It's in an 06 Century. Not my favorite truck. I came out of an FLD. That's all I've ever had was FLDs with 12.7s in them. And uh, I, I, it's just so clean, man. Coming from the original owner, the thing is thick and span. Like I said, it's got 1.1 on it. He put every mile on the truck. Um, he was leased over to Warner. So I guess when Warner ordered a bunch of these, they had uh, specced them with, uh, with A-certs in them, which seems pretty rare. You don't, I don't see too many of them with A-certs in yeah, them. Yeah, that so is rare. I, I sold my FLD and bought this one for 10000 and, I mean, it's clean as a pen. He was getting out of the business, so I, I thought I did pretty well. Sounds like check it. to see get the part number on the air filter housing and see who makes it and call them and see what the CFM is of that air filter. Let's make sure that air filter is large enough. Understood. So you know, I know you want to look at that air filter and those mufflers. Understood, sir. I noticed he's got a can in in the in the truck currently. Um, I wasn't sure if that was the best thing or not, but that's what's well, in there. No. I'll that scares me to do yeah. do an oil analysis and uh, let's see what the silicon is. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have. Uh, go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I was going to say I've talked about the K and M before. I love the company. I use their filters all the time on you know off road stuff. It's fantastic. I don't know why they they should have been able to build a really good truck filter and they didn't. But I don't know why they didn't. It's not an oiled filter. Almost all of their other filters are oiled. Uh, and that's the problem. You try to use foam without oil and you're going to get more dirt. Yeah, Kevin, I've got that oil sitting in the door from my sample last week. I need to get home and put it in the, uh, I need to get it over to Caterpillar and, and get a get an analysis on it and get it sent in to you guys. Yeah, let's take a look what, at uh, it. What rear gears do you have? It's got a 13 with 355s in it, Bruce. Pretty common. Okay, low pro twenty two five. Yeah. Okay. What speed do you run it? Uh sixty five to sixty eight typically. And your RPM is? Uh, I don't want to lie to you, Bruce. This truck needs a cluster put in it, and uh, I'm kind of running it off my ear right now. I found a guy that's got got some uh, century parts down south that I run to all the time. I. I need to get down there and rip this cluster out, but my 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 tack does not work. So that was the worst thing about the truck, honestly. Yeah. Okay. Um, other than that, I just try to baby it around and until you get a cluster, throw a scan gauge in there. You'll have all that info. Yeah. Yeah. Understood. Understood. Never thought about that. Well, that's a cheap, quick way of other getting, that, getting info. That was good. That was good, Kevin. Yeah. That was good. Little sales yeah, pitch that, there. That's good thinking. Yeah, I'd like to put a pie. I'd like to put gauges in here too, pyrometer and all that good stuff. I just need to get around to it, get to the house, and get that stuff ordered. But uh, other than that, guys, I don't want to waste some more of your time. I appreciate you taking my call, and uh, have a good day. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. All right, we're going to another one. It's our last on the board. If you want to jump in, you better do it now. We're going to go to Louisiana. Bill, welcome to the program, or LA. I'm not sure which one. Bill, go ahead. Louisiana, there we you will go. never catch me in California. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You're not a Newsom anyway. fan? <laughs> Hell no. Look what Hillary did to California. She came in and created a, a shit storm, and now 
No, I ain't going to even get what about, that. What about that Gavin Newsom? He seems to have all the answers he, the way he talks on television. He, he He's just a sound bite. He ain't nothing but a puppet, just like the rest of the cronies. I don't care what side you're on. Anyways, all right. I got 10,000 more miles before I hit the half a million mile on my truck. The 2019 Cascadia with an X-15. Um, I am... If she runs like a top, never have an issue besides the O2 sensors that typically go out. And I replaced them. They were about 450,000 miles they went out. Um, I want to I'm, I think about doing a tune because I'm coming up there and I'm going to have you guys do all the work. Um, because I'd just, I just rather have you guys do the, 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 the stuff besides the stuff that I can do. I, if I put a tune on that, does it create... Uh, Undo, uh, how should I put it? Does it create more stress for an engine? Because it's an X-15 economy, and that's for one. And number two, when I get the diesel force cleaning done from you guys at 500000 do you think it would be best if I change out the, the DEF, uh, oh, what the hell do I call it? The, the spr- not the sprayer, but the, the nozzle, the one that injects the DEF. Um, into the into the um, exhaust. We're going to team this question. I'm going to start with by saying, years ago, we always found that the better the engine ran, the longer it ran, and the better the fuel mileage, properly driven and properly maintained. So, um, years ago, I'd walk into Equus Machinery in Murraysville, Pennsylvania, which was Caterpillar. And they had the 3406Bs sitting there, set at 350 horsepower, and there would be broken crankshafts, burnt exhaust manifolds. And, you know, I was strictly Big Camp Cummins in, but we used their dyno. And I'd say, what the hell's going on here, guys? These caterpillars aren't supposed to have these problems, and they just chuckled. And then we would see 290 Big Camp Cummins. Mm-hmm. No turbo boost gauge, no exhaust gas temperature gauge, company driven. And they'd do the same thing. They'd burn exhaust manifolds, 290 horsepower. But we would build them 550, 600, sometimes up to 800, and never burn an exhaust manifold, never broke crankshafts. Mm-hmm. So, okay. and, and get better fuel mileage. The people that have them loved them, and they didn't have to beat them to get them up the hill. So, you know, it wasn't a dragonfly. You know, fly down one side to drag it up the other. Mm-hmm. So a, a properly tuned engine and the better it runs, it's always been the longer it lives and the more fun it is to drive. But I'll let Leroy and Pete add into that. Yeah, because my 30-day average right now stands at 8.33. That's so, good. Yeah, I'm satisfied with it. Okay. Uh, Leroy, do you have anything to add to that? No, like you said, um, I mean, we've tuned plenty of engines, and there are people that get a million miles, like the guy that was just here with that 870. He put a million miles on an engine with a power box, and that thing makes 750 horsepower easy. And mm-hmm. when you tear that thing apart, you can still see the crosshatch on the liners. The pistons don't look all scored up. The the marks on top of the pistons where the injector's firing, all that looks good. It's the guy who took care of the truck. He took care of the engine. He drove it correctly. And then we also have people that, you know, you can put like a 600 or 650 horsepower file in it, and they kill it in 200,000 miles. It's just learning, you know, you can't drive a truck like a, a factory truck afterwards. 
Um, especially mm-hmm. if you have a lot of horsepower, you're going to have to learn to drive it a little bit differently and you're going to have to learn what it likes and what it doesn't and what you can and can't do. Um, that's kind of my thought on it. Well, it's, I always look at it, you know, I never was a big person and yet uh, born and raised in the country, we had to use wheelbarrows. And at five foot nine and 145 pounds back in high school, uh, if another guy, a friend of mine, be six two and weigh 220, and we're pushing the same type of wheelbarrow with the same load, he went up over the grade a whole lot easier than I did. And it's very similar on a diesel engine. When you have the excess power, you ease into the throttle, it picks up and goes, and it accelerates into the hill. And you're halfway up or two-thirds of the way up, you start backing out of the throttle. And you're still going faster than you were with the stock engine, and yet you're lifting your foot. Okay. What about the – all right. I'm pretty much sold on that. I'll buy that. Um what about the DEF uh, nozzle when I get the diesel ports coming? Because I want, because I got all the sensors. When I have it all done from you guys, I'm just going to have you guys put all new sensors, all my DEF sensors in. Now, does that, would you recommend getting a new uh, doze, uh, uh, dozer, a dozer solenoid um, for the DEF fluid? Just replace it after a half a million miles, would you suggest or no? I wouldn't. No, the, the, okay. those are valve those. They're, I mean, I've tested a ton of them when we do like SCR tests or when we have a complaint of like low def mileage and stuff like that. And I have yet to see one with a bad spray pattern or, well, you know, I guess I have seen one, but it just completely didn't work at all. And there was a fault code for it. How, how, so about, a, uh, like they, how about the harness? Um, haven't seen too many issues. I mean, here and there. But it's not like it's a plague. Okay. But uh, I also okay. don't see every okay. truck, and I don't know what the statistics are. But I mean, I wouldn't replace the def doser unless you for sure having okay. an issue. That's not really like a wear item that I would. Yeah, I don't have, have no issues. It's just I'm I'm just very very picky when it comes to maintenance because this is my this is my bread and butter. The last thing I want to be right. done is being on the side of the road. Right. So, okay. I think I would after we do the DPF cleaning, clean the DPF or the in clean the DPFs as well. After we do the diesel force cleaning, would be wise. Yep. Are you running the max mileage catalyst? Man, I, I knew, I knew you was going to ask me that. Let me tell you something. I've been running this damn thing since day one. So with the catalyst, have it, hell yeah. There you go. Half a million miles, trouble free, good fuel mileage. You're not really complaining on power, and so. Dr. Jane came up with quite a product there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because we all know how Cummins uh, are notorious for carbon packing on the ring. And I had I, I got another guy hooked on it because he was saying he was going through oil. And I was like, are you sure? Are you sure it's not carbon packed? And he idled. And I'm just like, well, here. Because I, I know him because we go back in our military days. I bought him a gallon of catalyst myself. I said, you use this thing for a gal uh, for a time, and I guarantee your your uh, oil consumption will go away. And sure enough, he doesn't have an oil consumption anymore. Yeah, it's amazing when you eliminate soot and carbon. What happens? So, my yeah. good friend that I talk about a lot, Carl Kellner, is in Florida. I think it's Port Orange, just just south of Daytona, and he's got a newer Chevy pickup with the 
6.2 liter gasoline engine, and he ran the, the catalyst in his 2WS Cat and in his C12. I talked him into putting it in his pickup, and he was pulling out of his carport the other day. He called me yesterday. He said, you know, sometimes you have that polished concrete. He said, my God, the tire squealed. And my girlfriend looked at me and said, what are you doing? He said, well, I just put the catalyst in the other day. I didn't realize it was going to be this much more responsive. So Carl's a very sensitive guy, just like a lot of mechanically inclined people. And a lot of people feel it. Some people don't. And the people that don't feel it in gasoline, uh, they're just not sensitive to what their vehicle's doing. Oh, yeah. I, so when he, I, when he, I, when he told me his tire squealed, and uh, he, I know he doesn't drive like that. So that was that was an interesting story on the Max Mileage Catalyst just just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yep, I use it all. My pickup, my lawn, my riding lawnmower, my big truck. I use it in everything, and I swear by it. And don't. All right. Yep. Calls. When are... I go to buy buy. Go ahead, Bruce. I go to buy non-ethanol gasoline. I have to get in a marinas to put in them, the lawnmower, chainsaws, leaf blowers, and. I put five cc's in every five-gallon can and uh, everything, one or two pulls, and it starts and it runs. All right. We got to get back to the calls. are piling up on us now. We're going to go to Texas. Deshaun, welcome. Hey, Kevin, uh, Bruce, and the guys. How are you guys doing today? Good. What's on your mind today? Yeah, I was calling in. uh talked to Bruce a couple of times. I run the A-cert. And uh, heard that guy call in, thought I'd get him some pointers on it. Um, it's like I said, I've been running the catalyst in this thing for a while since I believe Bruce first mentioned it. Um, got all the parts that they sell on here as well. But um, I mean, just for that guy that just bought that A shirt, I mean, uh, just just do what Bruce says. Just uh, get those factory mufflers off of there. Go with straights if you could. The dampener. I've been running this uh, manifold on this truck. Oh, man, I bought it back in 07. I've been at the manifold on here for quite a while. I think I only bought one. <laughs> and uh, I just keep reading. Uh, if I pop a boat, I'll just put it out and put, the, put a new boat in, the same manifold. But uh, other than that, it's, it's a great engine to me. And uh, like I say, run, run that catalyst in there. Because when I hit that resume idle and that tack just goes straight up, man, it's no hesitation. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me at the pump, what does that, what does the catalyst do for, for that A-shirt? <laughs> and I was like, man, I just sleep better at night because just no <laughs> vibration. <laughs> I mean, I, it just idles awesome with that catalyst since I've been running. And that was the only reason why I kept running it. It's just the idle. Well, I don't know what else it does. It just gives well, me good idle in that night. If you pull that tube that comes from the charger cooler and bolted to the side of the head, if you take that off and you look in an A-cert that doesn't run the catalyst, you can take spoons in there and just scrape out the A-cert snot. By the way, that A-cert snot term came from a Caterpillar guy, from corporate Caterpillar. And when you look at one that runs the max mileage, it's clean inside. You can take down for it. Yeah, that's that's perfect. It just um, it just gives that that good idle in that night mood, and um, like the throttle the throttle response is, is better 
but it, I, I can't really tell because of the tune that's in here. I mean, I don't even have to really get on it to feel the power since they tuned it a couple times, got it right. And uh, the, the other thing was uh, the, the, the last time I was in the shop when they put on my radiator and uh, did the overhead, I ran it down to uh, Shippingsburg and picked up a piece of military equipment back to Fort Hood, Texas. And I think it was about 58,000. Uh, and I started hearing a little, kind of like a little fainty ticking noise in the very front of the motor. Um, it's real faint. Like, you, I mean, you, can, you, you just got to notice it. You, you've got to been driving the truck for years in order to hear it. I never heard that ticking before, but it's kind of like a like, look constantly. And uh, I started running the, the Lucas because I thought it was probably an injector or something uh, clogging up or whatever. And I started running the Lucas with that catalyst, and uh, it didn't didn't take it out. So um, just wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. When was the last time the overhead was set? I want to say about two and a half months ago up at your place. Okay. Uh, they did the radiator, put a new radiator in and uh, something else, and, and uh, did the over and the overhead on it. Hmm. Any thoughts on that one, Pete? I think we had to get it back here and take a look. Maybe a valve starting to seat more than the rest. Uh, I, I, easiest thing to do is check it out. I mean, it, it's pop the valve covers off and just make sure there's nothing going on up on the top end. Maybe we have a problem with the crosshead or something like that. Easy enough to look at. I would recommend trying to get shop for us to look at it. Does, does, the, A-cert use, does the A-cert use crossheads, Pete? I would think so. They have four valves. It's, it's been so long since I've been into that cat. Yeah. yeah I, I, I'm assuming they do, but either way, we'll check the overhead out and make sure everything's okay. Maybe maybe a valve loosened up or something like that. Okay, yeah. Years, years ago, when I first uh, first got the truck, it was doing the same thing, and it just pro- pro- uh, progressively got, got really worse to where I can hear it going down the road like in just going down the road, it was so loud, but I still drove it. <laughs> then by the time we pulled the cam out, it was pitted up and rollers were pitted up and, you know, everything's pretty bad. But it kind of sounds like that same noise, but it's just so faint. I mean, it ain't nothing you can hear just walking by the truck. You got to, like, be standing there listening for it real, real faint. Just a little slight ticking noise, like somebody just standing there with a little tapper, just, you know, barely tapping on it. But um, yeah, I can I can schedule it back in, Pete, uh, with you guys. And uh, hey, Bruce, um, I did get that tightened up there over there to San Antonio and got those uh, suspensions in. So uh, I ended up to Oklahoma. Uh, oh, you and, you uh, got the things. For, you got the things for the springs on your. It's a one ton pickup. Yeah, it's that Titan. Uh, uh, the Titan with the commons in it, the, the XD. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I got okay. the lift kit on it and everything. And I'll tell you about it. Last time we talked. That, and well, tell me the name. The Scholastic, right? Yeah, Scholastic so down there. Yes, sir. Down in San Antonio. Yeah. yeah. That's what I put in my 3,500 Ram. It makes a difference, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I run, I've been running the Catalyst in that, that Commons. They got that Commons in that Titan. And uh, mm-hmm. the response on that thing, man, I, I mean, it, it runs 90 like a gasoline pickup for a diesel. <laughs> I was not the old 45. <laughs> You know, running right with the traffic, man, and it was smooth. It was much better ride. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was you. I had to, and you. Yeah, 
emailed me in the heavy hall and, and all that. <laughs> and you emailed me and asked me what was that I put on, and man, I was thinking and thinking and had to had to do some digging to come up with that company down in San Antonio that had those. Yes, sir. Big help. Glad you was able to find it for me. Yeah. That's all I had, and uh, I'll get scheduled in and try to get them to uh, open it up. Hey, Sean, if we all help each other, we get through this life easier. No doubt about it. That's what you told me on the phone call. <laughs> yeah. Just take Working American. Willing. There you Working go. Americans have to help each other because God knows the government's not going to help us. So, Oh, no. We, no. Have, we have to help each other. All right, good stuff. Calls are really piling up all of a sudden, so we're going to have to knock some out. David. Kevin, Kevin, every time you say that, every time you say that, that's what happened. I know. You make me work three hours. I know. We had one call left, and I thought we were just about done, and all of a sudden we've got ten. Keep them coming. Yeah. David, it's your turn. Morning, guys. Bruce, um... Back in, like, March, I think it was about March, I took my truck down to Patrick Anderson and had him put a tune-up on it. I am so impressed with the way the thing runs. It's just incredible. What engine is it? 6MZ Cat. Oh, yeah. Do you have our manifold and turbo on it? It's got the manifold. It doesn't have the turbo. The real reason I was calling about it today was I need to get the pyrometer in it. Can you run me through the steps on that? I've got the pyrometer sitting on my bench at home. I just haven't got it put in. Yeah. You in front of number four cylinder, you'll see there's a boss. When I say boss, that's an, it's about, um, you know what a boss is? Whenever you're making a casting, you put a boss in there that puts extra cast iron there. Just center punch it and drill it with a 7 sixteenths drill bit. I actually got, like to go one size drill bit bigger. If you have the drill bits where you have like 36 or 64 bits, and you go one bigger, and then a quarter inch pipe cap, and you can do it with the with the turbo on because it's in cast iron. It's only making dust, and you don't have a variable geometry turbo. People with the variable plenty, and geometry, of, and there is there is plenty of room behind it too. Yeah, so. So on that boss in front of number four, drill it and then tap it quarter inch pipe tap. Put some never seize on the fitting. Screw your thermocouple in. Run your wires through the dash. And the only electricity is for the, the light inside. So you're 12 volt, 12 volt positive and negative. Right. That's all easy enough. And I'll, shortly after I did the tune up on it, um, I ended up having to change out differential gears. I, I changed it to 264s. So 30-day average compared to last year, I'm up like eight-tenths of a mile on my 30-day compared to last year. So we're making a whole lot better fuel. Yeah, making a whole so lot you, better fuel mileage. Have you changed the damper and balancer on the crank? I did right after I bought the truck. It's probably time to change it again. Okay. I've put a, and I've put a million so you, miles on this thing. All right. Is it in a 379 or W9? Uh, it's in a Columbia. It's in a Columbia. Wow. Right you got a 6NZ, 6NZ in a Columbia. Yeah, it's kind of a weird combination. Are you from Wyoming? No, I'm from up by Rapid City. Oh, okay. Did Patrick treat you well, Patrick Anderson? 
Patrick the boss. Yeah, he's a good trying to get We had some issues trying to get it to take the programming. We ended up half the fold on half the fuses out of the fuse panel because the freight computers were talking too much, making too much noise. I was there not over four hours to get it done. We got it done, and I tell you what, it is a horse. She does run now. Yeah. Did JR do the tune or Leroy? JR did it. It was a, it was late on a Sunday. I got to I got to Patrick's at like four o'clock in the afternoon. Late on a Sunday. Late on a Sunday. So how late? Kudos to you. Well, uh, like I said, I got there about four o'clock, and I think it was almost nine before I left. Wow! You kept Jr. up late. Kept him up late, but he powered through it. We got it done, and the thing runs like a. Patrick Anderson, Patrick Anderson and Pittsburgh Power took care of you on a sad Sunday afternoon. That's pretty good service. That's awesome service. So, Leroy, question for you. When I changed the rear end gear, they obviously had to go into the ECM and change things to make the speedometer right. Now, my odometer and my scan gauge odometers don't read the same. Odometer on the truck reads about four to five miles longer than the scan gauge on a 500-mile day. Is there some kind of an explanation for that? Some way we can fix that? Is your odometer, do you know if it um, has its own speed sensor or does it use the ECM? Or do you know if it's like a digital one, like a digital dash, or you don't know? It's digital. I know it's digital. I can tell you that. I, I have no idea if it's got its own sensor or not. Does it sweep when you turn the key on? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it should be getting its reading from the ECM um, unless it has its own speed sensor. That's the only way that they would be different. What gears did you have? What, did you take 355s out when you went to the 264? Uh, 357s. 357s. Okay. Well, how do you like the 264s? You know, I really like them. I, I really do like them. the startability in certain situations is a little bit on the low side. But, you know, I've run 60, 60 to 65 mile an hour. So I'm running the direct most of the time. Yeah, that, that's uh, perfect. If, if I'm running empty and want to go home in a hurry, I can kick it up to 75, 80 and be in, you know, well. I'm hearing a lot of wind. That's just a Columbia cab. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this this truck is terrible for noise. Okay, so you run the sixty to sixty-five in direct. Do you have thirteen speed or eighteen? It's a thirteen speed now. Thirteen. So when you're empty and you want to go home, do you use twelfth or thirteenth? I use twelfth usually. Kick it up to seventy, at, maybe seventy-five. At seventy-five, what's your RPM in twelfth gear? Oh, you're still down there probably 12, maybe 1,300 at the very most. At 75. Yeah. I, I have no idea how fast this thing would go. Probably a 140-mile-an-hour truck now if you wanted to do it. <laughs> well, try it. Let us know. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay. Anyway, those were the questions I had. So a 716th drill bit and a quarter-inch pipe tap. That's correct. Hey. I appreciate all your help, and I appreciate you guys uh, 
Have you ever tapped into cast iron? Have you ever tapped into cast iron? Okay. So whenever you're turning it, that quarter-inch pipe depth, I think, fits into a half-inch or a number 13 12-point socket. And as you're turning it, you'll feel it mining. That's because the dust from the cast iron is building up. So then back it off and turn it. And so you do that several times because you don't want to break that tap. Oh, God, no. That would be terrible. Yeah. So as you feel it starting to mine, back it off. Spray some penetrating oil in there and then uh, tap another thread. You may, you may get a thread or, yeah, probably about a thread. Pete, you recall whenever you were doing manifolds, you get about a thread and then you would back it off and then you'd go forward again? Co- correct. Yeah, you, you don't want to hog it out. You take, you know, take it easy. I would be out of error and inside of caution and back up probably more than most people because if you break a tap, they are tough to get out. Oh, there. Yeah. yeah, it's a nightmare. It is a nightmare to do that. Just you know, take your time doing it. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Take your time. I, I've you know I've run lots of tap and dies in the past, so I know exactly okay, so what you're talking about so you, when they so bind. you know yeah, about that thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's all in the field. I do. Yeah, I do ninety ninety to ninety five percent of my own maintenance. That's awesome. It's the only way a guy can afford to stay in business. You can't afford to take him to a shop anymore. Do you ever stop and think if you spend six hours on a Saturday working on your truck, how much that saved you? Like I just said, there's only it's the only thing that keeps me in business. Well, well just let's just let's just talk about this a second. If you save six hours of labor, you saved about seven hundred to eight hundred dollars plus the downtime. So that day you work on your truck is usually a Saturday or a Sunday, so that gives you Monday through Friday to run. So if a truck averages a thousand miles a day, you just saved yourself seventeen hundred dollars in that yeah. six hours yeah. working on your truck. Yeah, you know, and you do that a couple times a month. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Kevin? I do, but I could also play devil's advocate because I chose not to do that at some point. The first couple of years I did every bit of work on my own truck that I could uh, just because I had to. I needed to save the money. I I wasn't doing all that well. As I started to improve the business, then you start looking at, uh, do you want to do everything? You know, I was doing my own accounting, my own tax returns, my own maintenance, and I decided to give up the maintenance part of it. And, and pay somebody else to do that. And I would spend extra time working on maybe new customers or, you know, a new fuel mileage improvement. So it, it, there's nothing wrong. It's absolutely fantastic to do your own maintenance if that's what you want to do. If you don't, there are ways to be profitable enough that you don't have to. But, you know, I, I talk to people all the time. When you own your own business, a lot of times the first couple of years, you do everything. It's necessary. And hopefully at some point you become profitable enough that you can pick and choose what you want to do. Right. And, and I agree with that a hundred percent. I mean, I don't, I could afford to take it to the shop and have them do it, but it's just so much easier to do it in my own shop do uh, you it know, there, when I want to do it. And there are more advantages than just the money. I mean, nobody is going to take care of your truck the way you do. I don't care how good the shop is. The best shop in the world still won't be as conscientious as you will be or can be. That's, that's exactly right. The, the rear end, I took this thing in. I, I was getting a funny whining out of it 
I take it to the shop. I went home and I pulled drain plugs out of the rear ends and I got a couple chunks of metal out of the front differential. I thought, well, you know, it's time. I took it to the shop, told them what was going on. They found that the back rear end was just basically absolutely shot. They had a million, almost 2 million miles on them. They were 5,000 miles short of 2 million miles. So we just replaced both rear ends. I had them do it. Yeah. Well, I, go yeah. pick, I go pick the truck up. I didn't even make it out to the interstate, and I've still got the same funny noise. It turns out that the new steer hubs that I had put on, one of them had gone bad, and they didn't pick that up. They couldn't hear the noise. What was it I that you put on? New steer hubs. They're a oh. one-piece solid unitized steer hub. And one of the new one of those new hubs, they had less than 50,000 miles on them. One of the bearings went out, and it was making the noise. So that was the hubs on the front axle. The hubs on the front axle. It's just the little things like that that, you know, you take it to them to get something fixed. They find another problem, and they fixed it. I have no complaints about that. But they didn't find the real problem. They didn't find the problem I took it in for. That's where I've got a problem with shops. And you know, honestly, I mean, I've I've been doing it long enough, and I'm I can twist a wrench good enough. Might as well do it myself and just keep the money in my pocket. You know, um, a lot of shops don't test drive trucks. We test drive just about everything, and it's on the dyno. And I can tell you. We find a lot of other problems while we're on the test drive. Yeah, I believe. Sometimes, sometimes there's time and money to fix them. Sometimes you just bring them to the owner's attention and, and tell them this is what we found. Nope. The scariest one to me was a locked-up kingpin. And, uh, you know, we're on a two-lane road, and this was just three, four years ago, and I'm turning and turning and turning, and then all of a sudden the truck would dart. Well, you don't have room on a two-lane highway for that. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, especially and not Pennsylvania. And yet, <laughs> yeah, and the, the guy had actually brought the truck in from Calgary, Canada. And, uh, oh, wow. We brought it to his attention. He said, I was wondering what was wrong with that steering. Scared the hell out of me. Yeah, exactly. Well, again, thanks, guys. I appreciate everything you do. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Kevin, another happy 264 guy. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a pretty solid switch for a lot of trucks. Yep. Steve, it's your turn. Uh, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Two questions. I have a um, 2022 389 with an X15. 565-2050, and I bought the truck new, and I've been running the catalyst in it ever since. Do you still recommend doing a max force uh, cleaning at 250000 No. No, because there's nothing to clean. Okay. Yeah. Do, will I need to do a max force at all, do you feel? No, no, you don't have to do any max force. At, at a half a million, go to a DPF alternative and have the DPF cleaned. You'll pay for it one time, and then you'll never have to pay again. But you'll never have to do a max force cleaning so long as you're using the max or diesel force so long as you're using the max mileage catalyst because there's there's no soot inside the engine. Okay. And the other question I had was um, with the X15. Now I had an ISX uh, before that, and that truck never did what this one's doing. And I'm finding out that this is a common thing uh, when you let off of the throttle, it 
it feels like the turbo, you guys were talking about exhaust brakes earlier. It's exactly what it feels like is going on, and I don't have the Jake on. And I've talked to Cummins about it, and they just said that's the nature of the beast. You know, learn to get used to it. And I, my thought is they must be doing it for one reason or another. And I, I don't like getting used to it. Sometimes you just want to coast off the off-ramp, and this thing is slowing you down. And uh, it's it's very frustrating. I mean, I've been driving a truck for a while, and sometimes I'm like, I, I, I feel like a new guy driving this thing sometimes because I can't. You know, if I go to downshift... It'll and I just want to coast. It'll it'll choke up the it'll choke up the uh, turbo and slow the truck down. Is there a, Leroy, that or a reason for that? Yeah. Leroy, uh, we've heard that's before this complaint. Were we able to adjust for that? Well, for one, it depends on what version of the file that you have. Cummins did have an update that put out. They recognize that it is an issue. It's something they programmed in with the shift manager and things like that. Um, that they do add for negative torque to try to slow the engine down. They, their fix backs it off a little bit, so it alleviates the issue somewhat. We're able to do a little bit more. Um, I haven't got good feedback whether people say completely gone or not, um, but that's just sort of the nature of feedback. and just don't usually get it. Okay. Well, why don't, why don't you, why can't, can we try it on his truck and see if we can improve it for him? Yeah, of course. Yeah, you can come here to or go to any one of our remote dealers. We'll hook up and uh, make some adjustments. Okay, so it just gets a little frustrating. I mean, uh, sometimes if I just put my foot on the throttle a little bit to give it some fuel, and then I'll brake, you know, with my left foot, you know, just going into the, you know, like a, a clover leaf. You know, you just want to coast. I'm already at the right speed, and this thing keeps slowing down. It just, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a grown-ass man. I know how to drive this truck, you know, except when that thing yeah. starts coming. It gets a little frustrating. Like, what the hell, you know? Um, anyways, all right, guys. Well, I appreciate your time. And so what, I'll so, let, you go. So let, let us adjust that for you, and if you like it, call us back on the show. Tell us what you think. Okay. Well, I won't be back east for at least another couple of months, so um, I will schedule probably this fall. Well, no, we have remote tuners. We have about 127 of them in North America, so you can go to any one of those. Oh, oh, okay. And where where are you located? Well, right now I'm on my way to Phoenix and then the Bay, then British Columbia, then back to Texas. And, oh, yeah. where's, where's home? Vermont. Vermont. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, have you be going by us? to get to Vermont or close to us anyway. Right. That's why I say, you know, this fall would be uh, the, my best opportunity because I'll be done doing this project that I'm on right oh. now. Well, that's right. When you say this fall, I forgot we are in fall, so heck. <laughs> Forgetting that. <laughs> it cools off a little. Fall's here. Yeah. My gosh. He's been incredible this year, this summer. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I don't know what happened. I think we lost that call. Huh. All right. Let's go to South Carolina. I think he hung up. Oh, okay. Terrence, go What's ahead. What's up, Kevin? What's up, guys? Yeah, so um, I heard everyone calling about the Max Miles, so I have to do my little promo for it. So I used to live in Wisconsin, and I had a, a Ford Escape 2010. So I was hearing about this Max Miles. Bruce is always talking about talking about it. So I, so I bought a big bottle of it, put it in, put it in my little escape and the thing would light the tires up. So long story short, 
I get a, I buy a nice 2018 Indian. I started running the that. Never had any issues with it. And like Bruce said, you can chug them down. But the best one of all is I'm coming home. I moved down to South Carolina, coming home from work. And I go by this Dodge dealership, and there's a nice big Dodge 1500, big fat tires and all that. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Meanwhile, this is what, Kevin, you were telling everyone to save that money. Well, obviously, I didn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, I get it. You know, I, I, I buy it, and I had the catalyst from in my escape. I always had it in my escape, so I used it. The, the, this truck, the, the, the 2021, is only has 122 miles on it without the catalyst. Now I got, what was it, 20, almost 2,100 miles, 21, yeah, 21,000 miles on it, and I haven't had a stitch of nothing, no lights, no nothing on it. But the funny thing was what Bruce was saying about his friend with the, the driveway. I live in South Carolina, so they, they, they make those molded, uh, you know, to get into your driveway. They're just they're rounded. And um, what I did was my driveway was too small, so I, I put pavers on each side so I could get my motorcycle in and out instead of having to pull a car out. You know, it's small development. And the same thing, when I, I always back in, so when I leave in the morning, I can pull right out. And I do the same thing. The whole so one side of my driveway has got all black marks on it from, the, from backing up into it. it it's really, it's, the, the throttle response from it is unbelievable. For gas, the gasoline is unbelievable the way it works in it. So I just want everyone to know it's not smoking, uh, not, not, not rattlesnake oil, oil like that. It's a good product, and I've been using it for years. So whenever we first started putting it in gasoline, that was Dwayne Erke from Wisconsin. And I called Dr. Jane Gates, and she wouldn't comment. She said, because I never experimented with it in gasoline. And I said, well, let me tell you, it makes the gasoline a lot hotter. So, Yeah, I, I, I had it in my uh, – sorry, go ahead. I have a 13-foot Walker Bay dinghy with a 50-horse – Yamaha on it and when I don't have the catalyst to get it up on plane I have to push a lot further on the throttle and I just had four adults in it this past weekend and with the catalyst you just give it a little throttle and it comes right up out of the water on plane and it's so nice and then we stopped and we got we put in four gallons of gasoline I didn't have catalyst with me and we had to go back about five more miles to where we were staying. And there I am pushing more on that throttle. Yep. And I said, if you're not sensitive, you may not feel it. But most owner operators are pretty sensitive and you do well, feel the difference. It's good on the small engine, too, because I put it in my John Deere ride mower at Wisconsin. And I used to, you know, up there, you used to have to choke, the, choke it all the time. You just That's turn right. the key on. You never had to choke it. So. Good product. Uh, let someone else gonna. All right, good stuff. Let's go to Oklahoma. Dave, welcome. Hey, hello, guys. Say, I got a scan gauge question. I've got two beautiful KR scan gauges in my glider here. Why can't I get a pass-through cord for to fit that Volvo? I thought there was. A, I thought there was a, an adapter for the Volvo. There's not. Did you call yeah, scan I, I gauge? Can, I, oh, I could, I could hook, I, I could hook scan gauge up to the Volvo, but I can't hook up my ELD with it. Oh, you know, I need a splitter or a oh. pass-through cord. Yeah, splitter yeah. is what you need. Yeah. yeah, they're available. Yeah. Oh, they're they're not available. Uh, you could talk to Angie. Me and her have been going round and round on it. We can't find one anywhere. Huh. So. 
What? Did- I'm just kind of giving you a little little shit because I can't get one. <laughs> no, I, I I don't deal with a lot of that inventory kind of stuff. I I have to go see why we can't get one. They're just just not. They're just not well, in stock. I, or, figured, I mean, they that's exist. Why I figured I talked that. Yeah, that's why. I, well, not according to Scan Gauge, according to Angie, so, because she was the one talking with the now, let me with be, the company. Let me be uh, clear: they, they, is is it the splitters not available for the Volvo? Well, that's what I understand. That, they sent that, me a cord that you, I could plug into my to my ECM and use a scan gauge, but uh, there's no no way I could hook the, the ELD hey, up and the scan gauge like I do in my Freightliner. Hey, Leroy, I know in the very beginning, before we had the splitter cabler, before we could find one, I'm pretty sure I knew of people that had wired it up themselves. Is it that? Would it be that difficult? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if they uh, if they don't offer a splitter, you can certainly make one. I mean, you're just talking about 1939 to 1939. So if you had to, you could just grab the wires from behind now, the plug and it, then make your own sort of plug set. Does does it matter? I don't think the Volvo uh, is 1939. That's the problem. We have a splitter for those. No, it, the Volvo is OBD two yeah, now, isn't it? No, it's not. That is. I think it's just white duty. Yeah, that's but, the plug shape, but I don't think that I, I right, think it uses right. this 1939 standard protocol. Yeah, but you, the you, plug itself is different. Yeah, you could still wire one to 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 match whatever device you're trying to plug into it. Yeah. So take well, it to Leroy. Let him do it. Yeah. 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 Right. Sure. I got three. I got I got four hundred dollars in scan gauges. I don't want another four hundred dollars in fucking wiring. But anyways, uh, well, I just wanted you, to let you, you know we're that kind works. of going round and round on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we so, uh, we we didn't yeah. we did not foresee a truck manufacturer <laughs> going to OBD two. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I, I um, um now now talking with the ELD manufacturer to see if they make something. Right. Uh, you know, I don't care which one does it, either the scan gauge or the ELD, but something's got to provide a splitter. I, I would think. But uh, it's going to be a shame not having that scan gauge in this Volvo. Well, like I said, the the solution is wire it. If nobody makes one and we can't you. find one, we'll wire one. Yeah, I, I got you. Uh, thank, th- thanks for that bit of information. <laughs> we try to please everybody. <laughs> no, no, it's, I get it. Yeah, me and wires easy. don't get along. I'm paying somebody. I'm paying somebody right now to put switches in my dashboard of the Volvo so I can operate my lift axle on the trailer, uh, you know, which it shouldn't be a hard thing to do, but it seems like it is. I, I, I'm not a big fan of wiring stuff either. So I would pay Leroy to do it. Uh, uh, all right. Thanks for, thanks for your time. <laughs> all right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Nebraska. Joe, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I got a 2016 uh, Freightliner Cascadia, and when I was on my way to Sturgis hitting the hills, um, well, in the hills, I was getting up to 230 degrees on my um, temperature gauge, and I'd have to slow way down so it would drop back down, and I found out the clutch wasn't engaging, so I checked it out, and the uh, clutch is working. Clutch pan works, and the um, clutch solenoid works. Um, so what I did is I wired a internal switch 
because um, the clutch solenoid has power going to it, it leaves it open and supplies air. And then as soon as the computer shuts it off, it, then the air doesn't go and then the clutch engages, but it's not engaging. So I put a switch in with a light. So when it's supposed to get to 221 degrees, it's supposed to to uh, cut power to the solenoid and turn on the fan, but it's not. So now I'm manually doing it with the switch. Now, what what is it that's, uh, you know, what's causing it not to send the signal to turn it off? You mean to turn the fan on, not turn it off? Yeah, because what it's doing is the, the solenoid's working. When I cut the power manually with the switch, the, it closes and the clutch comes on, clutch fan comes on. But the truck itself is not, when it hits 221 degrees, it's supposed to shut it off. I let it go to 225, and it's not shutting it off. The light's still on for the uh, solenoid, and the fan's not going. Have you checked the, the wiring from the ECM to the, the pin? On, oh, yeah, the pin from the ECM to the fan solenoid. Have you checked continuity on that? No, I haven't. Yeah, so... I mean, the ECM is going to look at, it's going to get feedback from the coolant temp sensors, the air temp sensors and things like that, but we'll just go with coolant temp. So if it sees it reach 221, it should provide either ground or supply power. I don't know which one it is on a DD-15 off the top of my head, but let's just say it supplies power. Actually, what it does, it's always supplied power, which leaves the solenoid open and it cuts the power to it, which closes the solenoid, which then engages the fan because it stops sending air to it. Right. So do you know if it supplies power, like 12 volts, or do you know if it supplies ground? It supplies power, 12-volt power. Okay. So then, yeah, you would have to check that pin, and then you would also want to measure uh, across the the plug. So do you know if the ground is shared with the rest of the truck, or is it just the ECM only? I have no idea on the ground. I don't, uh, I, as far as I've gotten is to the... The solenoid works, the clutch fan works, and I'm able to do it manually now because I installed a switch inside. Well, I guess probably the easiest test you could do is just put your multimeter or negative and positive across the two-wire solenoid, the plug coming that goes to it, and then run the truck, and you should see um, 12 volts to keep the fan off, right? And then go, like, unplug your coolant temp sensor or something and see if the ECM switches. And if it doesn't, then it could be an ECM issue or it could be uh, the sensor. That's, that's pretty much it, just an ECM issue if you're telling me if it supplies 12 volts. Because it should switch okay. when that thing is unplugged, when the coolant temp is unplugged. Okay. Appreciate it. That's all I had for you. All right. Okay. Thanks for the call. Um, hey, Leroy, I've got a question for you. I don't know why I'm not uh, really figuring this out in my head, probably because I haven't really dealt with one of these OBT2s. So somebody just sent me a splitter from Amazon, but it looks like this splitter is OBD to OBD, just giving you two connections from one, but that's not really what we need, is it? Because, well, maybe we would. Then if we had an OBD to go to each device, is there... Will this work for most people? Is this what we need, or we do we need to split from OBD2 back to the older? It's kind of hard without without looking but, at it. And having obviously. the devices that um, you're trying to deal with, that's part of the problem too. How does his, how does a ZLD connect? So if if a if an OBD2 to an OBD2 with two connections will work, then you can get that from Amazon. Yeah, I'll have to verify 
that the OBD port in a Volvo is 1939, um, that it's not some sort of K-line or maybe CAN2 or something like that, some sort of ISO 1575. It's just basically all that jargon means just what language it communicates in. So if you think about it like that, uh, an older truck maybe speaks in English. And if your device also speaks in English, then they can talk. But if one's English and French, then you know you they're not going to be able to talk to each other. The physical, the physical plug itself doesn't matter which shape it is. It can be the round one. It can be square. It can be a, a trapezoid. It doesn't matter. Got it. So as long as like the languages, or the, the languages, the protocols all line up, you can wire in whatever connector that you would like. And okay. I'm unsure if the Volvo speak a language than the the other one. I don't think that they do because our USB link twos and stuff like that. I guess they may have those languages programmed in, but I don't think that it's anything special, but I'll, I will have to double check on that. Got it. All right. Let's uh, grab another call. Let's go to Georgia. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Um, there he is. I was wondering where he was. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of my recent region. I'm I'm over here in Georgia going to pick up my new trailer. So I'm getting beat to hell, hell on these wonderful roads because I don't have nothing to hold the ass in down. <laughs> uh, Put pink tanks on it. Oh, that's right. When I got a trailer on, very seldom do I ride around with just a truck. So, But some of these roads, they lead a little bit to be desired. So, yeah. Um, only way I'll wear a mask is Halloween. That's it. <laughs> The rest of the time, they kiss my ass. <laughs> and this, in New Zealand, soda or pop or whatever, it's just called soft drink. Well, that's a new one. And People like say that yeah, in so, every day, because obviously we call those things soft drinks here too, but nobody ever says, hey, pass me a soft drink. Do they say that in New Zealand? Yeah, so you'd ask someone, yeah. you want a soft drink? Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. What do you got? You got a Fanta or a Coke or a, or a Mountain Dew or whatever. Yeah, got but it. you want a soft drink. Okay. Yeah. So, but if you're here or there, if someone says you want a soft drink, the best answer is no. We don't drink that crap anymore. So exactly. Yeah, yeah I don't even know why we spent this much time yeah. on it, but yeah. Right. So you had a caller that before that said he'd spent a lot on his emissions on his Packard powered truck. Well. If you have a Packard product, a Kenworth or a Peterbilt, if it's got a Packard engine in it, it has exactly the same emission systems because it's supplied by Cummins. And if you have an international with a Cummins motor in it, you have the exact emission systems as what's in a Peterbilt or a Kenworth. So one of the lease purchase guys at the company I'm leased to, his I'm not, I think it's a Packard motor. It's still under warranty. And he's been in and out of the repair shop. I told him it's a definition of insanity because he keeps going back every week, but they still don't fix it. And it's under warranty. They've spent $20,000 on this truck so far, and he still has to go back to the shop just about every week. Does he run the catalyst? No. And I told him, I said, it's $225 a gallon, but depending on where you buy it. I says, but... My truck's got three and four times the miles that most of the rest of the fleet has got, and I ha- I'm, I might be the only one in the fleet that runs it, but I have next to no emission problems, but these guys, they get sticker shock, but 
tell them it'll treat 3,200 gallons. It's pretty cheap. And but they, oh no, I'm not spending that. Okay, waste your time at the repair shop, and throw money away, and definition and vanity doing the same thing, and expecting a different result. Paul, it's a penny a mile, but the return, because it eliminates the emission problems, is five to six cents a mile. My God, wouldn't you like to be able to get that kind of return from a stockbroker? Yeah, five hundred percent return. This truck's under 500,000 miles because it's still under warranty. Well, I'm at over 1.2, and he spends more time and more money. Well, uh, Peter will pack our foot in the bill, or somebody is, but it's his downtime. He's he's going to the – one of the terminal managers told me he's going to the shop. He goes to the same repair shop, and she said he spends one day a week in there. Crazy. Yeah. That's bad. One day yeah. a week, so he loses a thousand dollars plus what he's paying. I mean, it's it's crazy. And yeah, the, the, the only convenient thing is the shop he goes to is close to his house, so I guess he has a day off the day <laughs> in the shop. But yeah, so yeah, but you 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 can lead people to information, but you can't make them think. So that's exactly right. <laughs> So, right, I'll carry on. I've got a trailer to go get. So, all right. Thank you much. That'll do it. All right, we're going to wrap it up for today. Anything anybody wants to close with? Yeah, Dwayne Erke, my good friend from Wisconsin, who was the first person to put Catalyst in a Harley Davidson in a Model A and told me how well it made his Harley run, uh, just sent me a message. He's uh, also one of our owner-operator snowmobile conference guys. And by the way, we'll be talking about that in September. He's up to 10 snowmobiles now. He married a woman that loves the snowmobile more than him, which is kind of hard to believe. And she came with three, and he has seven now. So that's 10 snowmobiles for the two of them. I just had to that's, say that because the message just came across. That, that seems a little <laughs> excessive. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I had five. I'm down to four, but Debbie and I arrived. Plus, when company would come, we had to have two. Right. And, uh, Maybe he just has a lot of friends. But down at, <laughs> turn around transport bought one of mine, our dealer down in uh, Moberly, Missouri. So that's where my Kenworth is and my 07 Volvo XC90 and the snowmobile and my one trailer and my 95 Dodge are all at Moberly, Missouri. <laughs> when I want to see part of my pass, I got to go to Moberly, Missouri and, and see my stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Dwayne's up to 10 snowmobiles now. So, <laughs> uh, all right. Anything I, else? I thought it was a great show today. It was a good show. We were all over the board, but good stuff. All right, we will wrap this up uh, tomorrow. I don't think I have any. I don't think I have any guests. I think it'll just be a health free for all tomorrow. Uh, all right, we will see you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.